And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman Report. Today it is Monday, October 23rd, 2017. A lot going on in the headlines. A lot taking place all across, just not just the United States, but all across the uh, globe. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. We broadcast live each and every weeknight. That's from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, right here on the Global Star Radio Network, YouTube Live, and also Blog Talk Radio, where you can find our archives as well. And we're... Uh, in addition to being simulcast uh, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on those venues, we're also live Monday through Friday with two our two shows. That's my show, the Doug Hagman Investigative Hour, Doug Hagman Radio Show. That's from 9 to 10 p.m. or 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Global Star and BTR only, not not on YouTube. That's Global Star and BTR. Uh, it's Blog Talk Radio, and then of course Joe and John have their show from two to three Eastern Time on the same venues. I want to welcome everyone to the program tonight. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. The first guest coming up, uh, Peter Barry Chalka, one of the most, uh, one of the foremost uh, intellectual writers, I, I believe, in the country, and um, he's got he's got uh, he, he's got some history, and I. I'm fascinated by history. As you know, anyone who listens to my morning show knows how fascinated I am with, with, with events in history and really past this prologue. Really what we're seeing back, what we're seeing today was couched in and set in motion quite a, quite a number of years ago. And in modern, in the modern area of, era, of course, uh, more recently, you go back into the 60s and 50s and 40s and you'll see what's taking place today. You'll see the consequence of what happened back then. And uh, to talk about the lexicon of political uh, profanity at its finest, um, that that is the current PC culture, the culture of political correctness, that, that toxic culture. And what happened to set the stage for today is one of my favorite people. That's Peter Barry Chauka. Peter, welcome to the Hagman Report. Thank you, Doug. It's great to be with you again. No, it's great. It's great to have you. Great to see you, my friend. Um, boy, I'll tell you, fifty. I, I don't know how many people realize this. Frankly, I did not realize that Saturday was the fiftieth anniversary of the nineteen sixty-seven Pentagon March. The touchstone, as you wrote on the Hagman Report, a touchstone in the transformation of America. Peter, um, indeed. I mean, th- this. <laughs> What we saw 50 years ago, and you were there. So, let's let's talk about that, if you don't mind. Uh, I don't mind at all. I was there, and in fact, it was such a major event in my life as a young reporter that every October 21st since then, without fail, I have thought back to that day. That date has stayed in my mind ever since Saturday, October 21st. 1967, and here this year, the 50th anniversary was also on a Saturday. And as I would have expected, the mainstream media uh, emerged with uh, many articles uh, looking back at that event 50 years ago. The New York Times did a long oral history. The 
Washington Post did a piece, U.S. News, which I'm surprised to see is still publishing, did a rambling piece. And as expected, this was all revisionist history that uh, tries to make a, a great thing out of the march on the Pentagon, a, a the height of the, well, the largest to date at that point, the largest anti-war pro-peace demonstration in the history of the United States. About 100,000 people who uh, assembled on the Mall in Washington, D.C. on October 21, 67, initially at the Lincoln Memorial for speeches at the same spot that the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom four years earlier uh, had occasioned the memorable speech by Martin Luther King. So on that same spot, the speakers emerged, and many of them were, were cultural figures. Uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, entertainers, Phil Oaks, folk singer, Dick Gregory, the comedian. And, and this is how, even then, uh, the organizers of this event, who, by the way, as you might imagine, had uh, communist leanings and probably communist funding, there was something called the Mobilization Committee that had arisen a year the year before with individuals like David Dellinger, who was a communist and would later be one of the defendants in the Chicago 7 or 8 trials, Rennie Davis, another far leftist, and I knew Lenny, Rennie Davis very, very well. I interviewed him uh, probably dozens of times, live on the radio and at various demonstrations, and uh, I, knew, I knew the guy very, very well. So the origins of this thing are, are not pure peacenik anti-war. It's part of the dare I say, international communist conspiracy that was behind this. And all you have to do is look at what happened that day. After the speeches, the the front people, who included people like the, the writer Norman Mailer and Dr. Benjamin Spock, the best-selling baby doctor who had become a far leftist by then, they led the march of somewhere around twenty to 40,000 people to the Pentagon. And uh, there was a very radical contingent that was actually behind that march that had planned violent action to try to take over the Pentagon, to penetrate the Pentagon, and they were prepared for battle, much like we see today with the Antifa and the other groups that emerge around a supposedly uh, social justice cause, and the next thing you know, uh, the city is burning down, Right. So uh, here it was 50 years ago, uh, the, the, the large contingent got to the Pentagon and immediately a significant number of them started attacking the military police and the troops who were encircling the Pentagon. I mean, this was serious business. The powers that be then had uh, advanced warning that there was going to be trouble and the Pentagon itself, I think the largest office building in the world at that point, might be at risk for penetration. So uh, actual battles went on between the demonstrators, the more radical demonstrators, and the MPs and uh, the troops. And this went on all night, well until the, until, the, until the next morning. But it's interesting now when you when you look at the coverage, especially that appeared within the last week, I don't think I saw one article about this march on the Pentagon that didn't have one or more photographs of uh, like flower children demonstrators putting little flowers in the gun barrels of the troops 
that were massed there. And of course, this is 1967, right after the so-called Summer of Love, which was one of the greatest propaganda exercises in the history of the world to paint over this radical cultural revolution with, uh, you know, go to San Francisco and wear some flowers in your hair. That was the big top 40 hit of the summer of 67, a few months earlier. But uh, I'd like to take this back briefly to what I see as the origin of this cultural revolution. And by the way, the timing here is interesting. Uh, Mao Zedong and Red China had their own cultural revolution starting in 1966, isn't that interesting? Is that interesting. a coincidence or what? Yes. And in fact, uh, in 1966, I had the ability to monitor the two English language broadcasts a day of Radio Peking, as it was then called. Uh, my late father was a ham radio operator, and he built a 60-foot tower in our backyard with this enormous antenna on top of it that could be rotated and aimed where you wanted to pick up a radio signal, and his very sophisticated receiver could receive short wave broadcast. So I was there listening to Radio Peking in English. At the time, there was virtually no contact between the United States and Red China, and this was one of the only things we had to go by of what's going on in that country. And this was at the height of the Cultural Revolution and, and the Red Guards and Chairman Mao's Thought, the Little Red Book, and yeah. when I look back, when I look back on this now, I still have some recordings of, of those broadcasts, and you can also find some of them online if you Google it, but I, I get chills thinking of it even now, thinking back to listening to those broadcasts and how really w what made the change, what brought the transformation to this country starting not in the 60s, but in the 1940s. It was 1946 when in particular three individuals at Columbia University in New York, William Burroughs, a rich dropout, Allen Ginsberg, uh, the famous poet and radical, and Jack Kerouac, who was uh, a famous novelist, wrote On the Road. Uh, they came together at Columbia University and formed what was called the Beat Literary Movement. And this was the precursor of the Cultural Revolution that would follow a decade or two later. Uh, these guys started publishing. I mean, they were basically down-and-out radical dirtbags, in my opinion. But they were very smart. They were intellectuals. And, and Ginsburg, especially, was a master of public relations. Kerouac, Jack Kerouac, was probably the best of the bunch. In fact, he came out of a strong Christian orientation and later returned to that and actually became a political conservative in the 1960s before he died in 1968, early on. Uh, but the others, their favorite book was Oswald Spengler's Decline of the West, which had been published in the 1920s. They were working towards the decline of the West and the United States through cultural methods. And we don't have time now to go into this, but sometime it would be nice if we did, because this is really interesting to get into the origins, and, and it, it has a tremendous impact on what we're seeing right now. But anyway, to advance the story quickly, by the 1950s, Ginsburg, Burroughs, and Kerouac were, uh, were hitting the mainstream. They were selling books and poetry and getting uh, notoriety in the media, and this gave rise to the bohemian beatnik movement. Beatnik was the derisive, satiric term that was given to it in 
1959, but the Bohemians in the 50s, and then the Cultural Revolution of the 60s with the hippies. And this grew out of the SDS creation in 1962 and the Port Huron Statement, a 60-some-odd page manifesto that they came up with, uh, the SDS, in their formative year there, 1962. And it was basically... um, the roots of like the weather underground, the, the communist uh, pooch or transformation that we would see through the rest of the 60s. But they understood very, very well that you had to work through the culture to grab the hearts and minds of the youth. And that's exactly what they did through the uh, transformation of rock music during the 1960s and, of course, through the introduction of uh, serious drugs, not only marijuana, but most significantly the psychedelic drugs, LSD and uh, uh, mescaline. And, and, of course, the CIA had a role in helping to test and disseminate those psychedelic drugs at a very early uh, stage. That's been well documented. But it's really mind-boggling when you think about how all these things were coming together, the cultural meme, revolution, communism, part of the international communist conspiracy, something with the same term, cultural revolution, was going on in red China at that point. Of course, there was at the hands of an authoritarian regime which enforced that cultural revolution at the barrel of a gun, and tens of millions of of Chinese died as a result. Here it was by a more uh, subtle means of, of capturing the hearts and minds of the youth and, of course, that youth, the baby boomers, uh, eventually came into power, and many of them are still in power today. In fact, the New York Times, in their oral history of the March on the Pentagon that was published uh, two days ago on Saturday, it's well worth a look, I guess, if you read it between the lines. But they went back and uh, interviewed in snippets people who had attended that march, most of them as participants. A few, They tracked down a few of the troops who were there to defend but when they uh, uh, looked at what are they doing now, what are these people doing now, virtually without exception, all of the demonstrators are, are still social justice warriors, many of them professors at universities, uh, leading journalists. I mean, they are in there now with significant roles, and they gave very short shrift in this article, of course, to uh, the other side, those who were defending the Pentagon at that point. But... Uh, you know, it's it's just uh, it's mind-boggling to look back. Now, just to personalize it for a moment, to say where I was coming from then, uh, I was a freshman at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., which was just a couple of miles away from the Pentagon. You could actually see the Pentagon from the hilltop campus where Georgetown is located. And uh, I made a beeline for Georgetown's radio station as soon as I got to the campus five weeks earlier as a freshman because I was interested in journalism and in music and the Georgetown radio station was the place to be. It was a regular FM station that could be heard with its signal uh, about 50 miles in all directions. So it was a regular FM radio station in the nation's capital. And I, I was assigned that day to cover that demonstration because that night I was anchoring the three newscasts on WGTB-FM, uh, the 10 and 11 p.m. and 12 midnight newscasts. So I went to this march. Uh, it was the first big march I'd ever attended or covered. I did encounter one in New York City. It's actually the precursor to this Pentagon march. 
the same characters, same cast of characters, had one in Manhattan in April that year, 1967. And I was in New York that day on personal business, and I, I saw the march, but I didn't uh, hang out there. I didn't attend it. I just was crossing the street and saw these people marching and shouting and waving their banners. And thought, that's interesting. And six uh, short months later, I had the benefit of, of being right at ground zero there in the front row uh, uh, covering this thing. So I marched uh, along with them to the Pentagon. Uh, I left before most of the real radical violent action started, although I did get, a, I think, my first whiff of tear gas there, which was being uh, used to protect the Pentagon, because I had to rush back to Georgetown to prepare these newscasts. But, uh, you know, it was a long time ago, 50 years ago, uh, you know, at the time, not that it's relevant, I guess, like most of my contemporaries, I was against the Vietnam War because I didn't want to be drafted, although... Uh, in 1964, three years earlier, I had been a strong partisan of, of Barry Goldwater and actually remained so even throughout my college years. I just thought that, I mean, I knew instinctively that LBJ was conducting that war politically and we were not going to win it. It was a mess. So why sacrifice yourself for a war that, uh, you know, is not going to be won because of the uh, people like LBJ who were running the show, and even Re- Robert McNamara, the Secretary of Defense, supposedly uh, admitted, not publicly, but to his his uh, colleagues in 1967, that same year, that the war was lost. So th- these are the people who were running the show, and I think another 30,000 Americans would die before we finally got out of there in 1975. But uh, And then later on, I had the ability to cover the politics of the anti-war movement for the next four years, culminating in my joining the McGovern campaign, the presidential campaign of Senator George McGovern in 1972 as a volunteer. And my colleague and I, the late Scott Spiegel, produced the radio commercials for the McGovern campaign. It was the first year, 1972, that 18-year-olds could vote. So we produced uh, radio commercials which ran on college stations and FM rock stations, and we got to travel with the McGovern campaign during the last month of that campaign through his uh, ignominious loss to Richard Nixon on, I believe it was November 8th of 1972. But uh, the same the same suspects who created this march on the Pentagon in October 1967, they were called the, the mobilization then they renamed themselves the New Mobilization. And this was the New Left to distinguish itself from the Old Left. The Old Left, the hardcore communists who got in trouble with uh, the House and American Activities Committee and Senator Eugene McCarthy. Those Old Leftists were the ones who uh, took root in Hollywood, New York, and Washington starting in the 1930s through the 1950s. They were hardcore communists. And... Uh, this was the new generation, the new left, uh, the young punks who thought they were going to learn from the mistakes of the old doctrinaire leftists, and they were going to do it right. So that's who was running this this radical show of these demonstrations. And, boy, were they successful because they're the group that grew out of this mobilization that put on the march on the Pentagon gave itself the name the New Mobilization, and they had an office there in Washington, D.C., and I was covering what they were doing. They were planning 
one demonstration after another. The next one that they planned was around the Democratic National Convention in Chicago in 1968, and we know what happened there. And the next two after that were the 1969 moratoriums on October 15, 1969 and November 15, 1969. And the demonstration on November 15, 1969, which, by the way, I co-anchored the coverage of, there was something called the Ad Hoc Moratorium Radio Network, which came about to feed live coverage of the November 15 moratorium, 1969, around to college and non-commercial and any radio station country that wanted it. And I was co-anchoring it with a colleague of mine from American University's radio station. But that's how involved I was in covering this stuff at the time. But that November 15, 1969 rally probably remains the largest single demonstration in the history of Washington, D.C. Estimates were imperfect, but certainly there were at least half a million people on the mall and gathered around the Washington Monument for the speeches that day. And it was another hardcore event that was punctuated with a lot of entertainment. Some of the leading rock entertainers of the period appeared at that. Unfortunately, a film was never made of it, as was made at Woodstock months earlier, but, you know, it would really be interesting to see what came, you know, if you could go back and really relive it on video as it was. But, you know, I just wanted to say this, too, about the revisionist history. This event, the Pentagon March, which I named one of the touchstones in the history of our country's transformation is grist for the propaganda mill because we've seen how in recent weeks, really in recent months or years, every time there's a documentary on the Vietnam War or a new book comes out or a series of articles, they go, and most recently Ken Burns' 10-part series on the Vietnam War, which is, is run uh, recently and is still running someplace in the country on public broadcasting. And of course Burns made a, a in his revisionist history, and he's a leftist, of course, he, he made a lot out of the anti-war movement and gave very short shrift not only to the actual conduct of the Vietnam War, but to who we were fighting and why we were fighting. I mean, the, the crimes of the National Liberation Front, the Viet Cong, and the North Vietnamese uh, authoritarian communists. I think in his series there, I, I don't believe he mentioned that uh, upwards of two million Vietnamese were slaughtered after the North Vietnamese communists took over the country in April of 1975 when the United States finally left those famous scenes of the helicopters taking off from the embassy and depositing people on the aircraft carriers offshore so and you know Burns showed video of this march on the Pentagon and all these other marches as if these peaceful demonstrations, and all of them, by the way, were marked by levels of violence. I got seriously tear-gassed at the two moratoriums that I mentioned in 1969. So there was there was violence at all of these. Uh, and but you know, looking back in the fog of the revisionist, communist-inspired history that has captured the mainstream media and the culture now. They, they gloss it over like, oh, wasn't this groovy? Uh, you know, the peaceful hippies and students and, 
the new left, you know, marching for peace. I mean, BS. This is lies. These are lies. It's the big lie. And if only could people, people could go back in time and, and see and experience what it was really like. And of course, it was very influential to me, a turning point. I was there, uh, hopefully with a sense of objectivity, looking at what was going on. I mean, I was, you know, 18 at the time. What did I know about these things, you know? But I was open to seeing it, to processing it. And, and the 50 years since then, I hope, learning what the hell it was all about. And it wasn't about what this goddamn media is telling us it was about now. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. And, and of course, flash forward to 2008 and the election of Barack Hussein Obama, which was made possible by this kind of lying propaganda that propelled him into power. And I just want to mention this too before we run out of time that I'm speaking from a, uh, undisclosed location, uh, visiting a major city on the West Coast, which I have tremendous, uh, regard for and a long history with. But in my less than one week here already, it's my first visit here in six years. And I have to say that it's a, a, a view for me of where the rubber meets the road. And everywhere I look, everything I do, whether it's a car rental agency, a hotel, Walmart, a supermarket, I can see how this country has been transformed by Barack Hussein Obama and his ilk. I mean, this country is so polarized now that you can see it and feel it even when you're going through your daily activities in, in, a, in a place that you once lived in when America was great several decades ago. So we are so advanced down the path of to, towards the point of no return that I say, God help us. Fifty years, fifty years beyond the 1967 Pentagon march, actually 49 years, um, Americans, many Americans were ready to elect a socialist for president or a communist for president. That's how far we've gone and that's how, that's how devastatingly um, transformed as you spoke this country has, uh, has has been and it's not a death of morality or death of culture i would i would argue it's it, our culture and morality and character has been murdered and by the very people that you spoke of first hand account uh, peter Barry chauka uh, we've uh, forgone the network break just to give you as much time as possible i want to thank you so much i would encourage everyone to read uh, Peter Barry Chalka's uh, piece on HagmanReport.com and also use social media. Send it out via social media. Spread this because past is indeed prologue. My friend, thank you so much for your contribution and thank you for your first-hand account and thank you thank for, you, for everything you did. Could I take 30 seconds just to you update got, one got. other story briefly? Sure. All hell is breaking loose right now on a white-hot story involving Fox News and the latest developments. This arose from a, a big story the New York Times did two days ago, taking on again Bill O'Reilly, Fox News, and many other people. And it was a fuel was poured on the fire today by Megan Kelly. She took one half hour of her failing NBC morning show to uh, to enhance the story. And the New York Times today, I've lost track of how many stories they published in the last six hours on this. So maybe sometime we'll have a chance to update that, but uh, it's just you know, pay attention to that story. It's breaking right now, and on a, on the very week before 
Next Monday, Fox News is going to finish its transformation to its primetime schedule of Hannity, Tucker Carlson, and Laura Ingram. So we have to wonder why is this all coming out? This latest attempt at a kill shot on Fox News is just incredible timing and an incredible story. My friend, you had predicted, or I shouldn't say predicted, but you had mapped this out when you were on our show before, and not unexpected, shall I say, what we're seeing now. And, and indeed, we'll have uh, bring it back, and and we'll get into this because this does. I'm, I'm afraid this will, um, uh, this will have an uh, obviously a negative adverse impact on on the last bastion of conservative news, if you want to even call it that, uh, or at least some of the personalities on the air at Fox News. So, very interested. In fact, we'll bring you back and we'll uh, spend some time discussing that. Right. But, but, but you're you're right on point. You're right on point with this. You're right on point with the uh, with the media wars. And, and the assault on our media, the conservative media. It's just fantastic. Peter, thank you very much, my friend. Thank really. you, Doug. Be well, and God bless you. All right. Really appreciate your gift of time. Folks, that was Peter Barry Chalka. Follow him. Um, in fact, follow his um, follow his social networking. Uh, follow him on Twitter. It's uh, Pete Chalka. Okay, on Twitter. Follow him on Twitter. You've got to do that because it's it's. in fact, there it is right there on YouTube. Uh, so glad that he took the time. And it really, I gotta tell you, it's, it was, uh, his gift of time is incredible. So thank you to Mr. Peter Barry Chaka. Joe, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Yeah, that was a, um, a great piece and a great, uh, article that Peter Chaka had penned for the Hagman Report today. And again, if you have not seen it, it is at the top. The 1967 Pentagon March, a touchstone in the transformation of America. Definitely a fantastic article. And we have other articles up there. Uh, some interesting ones just to take a look at. Photo of Lady Gaga and five former presidents goes viral. I thought that was pretty interesting. We also have an article up here that I want to get into real quick. Well, we are going to bring on Augusto Perez in just a few moments. Mueller's Russia probe has swept up the Podesta group. Although it might be a true headline, I think it's a misleading one. Don't expect any kind of criminal or other findings to be uh, released to the public based on Mueller's Russia probe into the Podesta group as he is embedded in the Podestas in the DNC in deep state. Do not expect him to eat his own. With that, it's been a while since we've had him on. His website is theappearance.com, the Appearance Ministries evangelist, Mr. Augusto Perez. Augusto, welcome back to the show. Hey, Joe. So good to be with you and Doug on the Hagman Report. Well, Augusto, it's great to have you. And uh, you're, uh, my, my, my dad just stepped away. John is going to be coming in as co-host. He's going to be co-hosting the rest of the show with me. And right. uh, my dad sends his love. He wanted me to, to tell you hello and um, that was after we talked on Friday. But I know we have a lot of things to get into, uh, Augusto. We were going to talk about a number of things, um, you know, the prophetic timeline, where are we at, what are we seeing in the world today, the state and decline of the church and Christianity in America, the continued uh, established institutional power structures in America losing their power from Hollywood to the FBI 
and uh, just the world of politics in general, and so much going on in the natural and in the spiritual. Where would you like to start today? Well, uh, last time I was with you, Joe, uh, we we talked about uh, uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, and what was God's plan and agenda for him. Uh, I, I shared a lot of things that the, the Father had given me, and I would like to touch on that, and then we'll transition to all these other areas, because that's really that is really what is triggering all of these things um, that we are seeing, Joe. We are seeing the fall of the Babylon system, and I cannot overstress that. And this is. See, see, what we're seeing is not really the fall of America. See, uh, for, for many years, a lot of people have been talking that America is Babylon. And America does have a lot of the Babylon because it has the Babylon system. But it's not just America. America will be heavily impacted, but it's more than America. We're talking about the Western nations. We're talking about the whole world. <clears throat> but America is deeply immersed in the Babylonian system. Remember that in the book of Revelation, he talks about Mystery Babylon, okay? And Mystery Babylon is not a country. Let me repeat that. It is not a country. It's a system. And it is a religion as well. If you notice, every time in the scriptures when the Bible talks about a woman, whether it is a chaste woman, the bride of the Lamb, or whether it is the harlot, the prostitute, it is always referring to a body of uh, of a religious people or, or believers, uh, those that are in His will, those that are His, those that are washed in the blood, that walk a life consecrated to Him. They are referred to as the bride. Those others that are worldly are just you know in it for what they can get out of it. They are in sin and they pretend to be Christians but are not. Those are what is called the harlot. Now, <clears throat> I have always believed, and, and, and I don't mean this as an offense, because I have a lot of wonderful friends uh, who are Catholics, and uh, many beautiful Catholic people, but <clears throat> the system known as the, 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 the Roman Catholic papal system is what the scriptures refer to as mystery Babylon. That is really the, uh, the if you will, the, 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 the seed of it. That is the, where everything stems out of. <clears throat> and if you notice in the scripture, it refers to it as the mother of harlots. So there's a lot of other little harlots that are under that harlot. But the, going back to the system, the, the, the mystery Babylon system, Joe, we are seeing, we are, what we are seeing right now is the fall of the system. We are seeing it in the, in the government. We are seeing it in the, in, in the, in the mainstream media. How uh, all of those main, big mainstream media that used to be—I mean, way up in the in the <clears throat> in the ratings—they're no longer hold the same ratings. I mean, you name it: CNN, NBC, CBS, whatever, uh, MSNBC. They, all these networks, even Fox, they're losing uh, a lot of um, people, and the reason is because the system is falling. We are seeing it in the football. Football, 
has for many, 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 many decades and years been considered a sacred cow in America. Okay? One of the things that Americans worship. I mean, Monday night football is like a, it's, it's almost like a religious thing, if you know what I'm saying. And, uh, and so <clears throat> we are seeing this thing now falling. Uh, uh, the ratings are falling. We see the stadiums now are half empty. And all of these things, we are seeing what, what could be described as the beginning of the fall of Mystery Babylon. And, uh, yeah, it will affect America, no doubt about it, uh, in more ways than probably any one of us can count. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, I go back to now to President Trump. If you recall what I shared last time I was in your program, uh, I said this man, God told me, he showed me and confirmed it to me that he was Cyrus. He was God Cyrus. Now, <clears throat> let me share something, uh, because uh, there's a lot of confusion out there, uh, Joe, as you know as well as I do, amongst Christians. There's a lot of Christians, yes. including Many, including many, uh, watchmen, watchwomen, uh, prophetic voices out there that, uh, they just don't believe that Donald Trump is, is, is good. He's good at all. He's no good. He's, he's rotten. He is part of the, of the deep state, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and they, <clears throat> and they have not let up. And, uh, and so I need to clarify some of these things because the only way that uh, we are going to win this thing, okay? And maybe if not win, at least to hold the, the the dark the dark side at bay. The only way that we're going to achieve this is by having understanding and wisdom in the times that we are in and what is really going on. And so, <clears throat> from the beginning, I share that uh, that President Trump was God Cyrus. He confirmed that to me. If you remember last time, I had an experience where I went to Ohio last year, and the Lord sh uh, confirmed this to me and my wife through a little baby, a little baby boy that I told them, I had asked the Lord, so the Lord confirmed this to me. I don't want to be misled. I don't want to say something that is not from you. So please confirm it. And, and that last meeting, I, this woman came with a little baby in her in her arms, and she said, "Please pray for my son. He was the cutest little boy, about maybe six to eight months, the biggest eyes, and uh, he just opened those big eyes and looked at me. And I asked her, I said, you know, I put my hand on his head and I asked her, I said, what is his name? And she said, his name is Cyrus. Now, <laughs> Joe, what are the chances?" Of something like this happening right after I had asked the Lord to confirm this to me. So, <clears throat> you know, I don't care who who comes and says, you're wrong, Brother Perez. Well, I don't care. Because <clears throat> when I know that I know that I know that I'm right, there's a saying that says, a man with an argument is no match for a man with an experience. And I am that man with experience. And so... I know this is Cyrus. This man is Cyrus. And, and But what a lot of people do not understand, uh, and I want to shed some light on this before we go on to other things, Joe, is what is the purpose that the Lord brought Cyrus as you know into the White House? 
Did he bring him there to make America great again? I don't think so. That is the slogan. I know that is what he said in the campaign, and he's trying to do that. But God's purpose, the purpose of the Most High in bringing this man into the White House was not to make America great again. It was to bring down the system of Babylon, which it is deeply immersed in this country. It is in... Well, look what's going on in Hollywood. Hollywood, uh, Hollywood is coming down. It's done. It's toast. It's over. Uh, everybody is saying it. The corruption in Hollywood is oozing and it is being manifested now for everyone to see. The corruption in the, in the NFL is being exposed. The corruption in government is being exposed. The corruption in the media is being exposed. Now, please tell me if this is not exposing, lifting the skirts of Babylon and exposing her nakedness and her corruption, I don't know what is. And so <clears throat> this is what is happening. And uh, people need to understand. Uh, I'm talking to Christians, okay? I'm not talking to the uh, heathen. I'm talking to Christians. You need to understand what is happening so that you know how to pray and you know what to do and what to think. <clears throat> because there are many people, unfortunately, that are double-minded as well. Uh, one day they say, yes, Cyrus, uh, President Trump is Cyrus. And the next day they say, no, you know, they believe uh, a dream or a vision or something that someone else uh, came up with. And, they, and then they buy into that and then they start thinking that, Maybe this guy is not who I thought he was. Maybe this is, you know, one of them. And so as long as we continue to allow this double-mindedness to, uh, you know, to be uh, in a part of us, we will never be able to have a unified uh, prayer and uh, success. Because the Scripture says... The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So if there is one thing that I would say, Joe, that we need desperately at this time is we need clarity. We need uh, uh, to be, uh, you know, a definition. We need to be clearly defined what is going on. If this man is, uh, God put him there, okay? And again, people can say, well, he's not, he's not saved, he's this, he's that, you know, he's corrupt, blah, 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 yada, yada. Well, <clears throat> you know, I would, I would say to these people, okay, let's take Pharaoh in Egypt when Joseph was there. Was that Pharaoh, uh, a believer in the Almighty? No. no. Was that Pharaoh a good man, you know, that was, uh, no, that Pharaoh, all that happened, all that, all that God needed to happen, Joe, and all you guys listening now, there was for that Pharaoh to uh, be uh, gracious towards Joseph and towards God's people, for God's people and Joseph to find favor in the eyes of that Pharaoh. The same thing could be said of Cyrus. Now, if you look at the scriptures, Cyrus. He was no, uh, <laughs> he was not a believer in the, in the God of Israel. This man was basically a heathen Medo-Persian 
king. And yet the Lord called him my shepherd in Isaiah 44:28. He called him, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, the foundation shall be laid. So, in verse, in chapter 45, verse 1, he calls him, he's anointed, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will lose the loins of kings to open the doors before him, and the gates shall not be shut. So, he not only calls him, his shepherd. Now, Joe would, I mean, what Christian would call today, okay, if, if we would, if we were to ask any Christian, any Bible believing Christian, if they would call Cyrus back then, God's shepherd, what would, what would the majority of Christians say? Probably that you're crazy. You're crazy. I mean, how can this heathen man be a shepherd? Yet the God called him my shepherd. Now, mm-hmm. let me take it a step further. In chapter 45, the Lord Jehovah said to, you know, he said to his anointed Cyrus, okay? To his anointed. Now, if I were to say, or, or, or if someone were to say today that Cyrus back then was God's anointed, what would the majority of Christians today say the same thing, right? We're <laughs> yeah. crazy. You, I mean, you, you're lost. You have no discernment. Well, you see, this is what is going on right now. This is what we're hearing from so many voices out there that are confused. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand. And so we need clarity. Okay? Amen. Amen. Brother Augusto Perez, John Robertson, sitting in for Doug Hagman. God bless you, sir. You know, we've had the opportunity to speak a number of times one-on-one, but never on air, so it's certainly a pleasure to join you here this evening. Brother Augusto, I was uh, uh, just kind of perusing your website. And, uh, folks, for those of you who aren't familiar, go to theappearance.com. Great website. It's loaded with – it's a – it's a website with great depth, and you'll find a lot of good stuff there. But, Brother Perez, I want to uh, read to you something that you wrote, and I have no idea when you wrote it, but I think it really ties into the question that you just posed uh, to Joe and our listeners and viewers at large. You wrote, We are moving out of one dispensation and into another, just like when Jesus came the first time. We are in a transitional per- period of change right now, and we are looking through a glass darkly. The church age is coming to a close. Allow me to repeat that. The church age is coming to a close as we are entering the dispensation of the kingdom age, where Jesus Christ will return to to establish his millennial kingdom on earth, just like when the religious people resisted the coming of the age of grace when he came the first time. Likewise today, many who do not understand the times and the seasons we are in are resisting the changes associated with the coming of the kingdom age. Brother Perez, doesn't our 45th president, Donald Trump, really stand as the figurehead as we move into this transition? Well, I would put it this way, John. You know, as certain things that he wants to do, okay? 
Now, we know that Christians were not going to be able to achieve what he wanted to bring about in this country. This is why he reached down and he picked this man, okay, who is a brawler, he's a fighter, he's not intimidated by anybody. He is, if you will, he is a modern-day one of the pharaohs, okay? He's he's a King Cyrus. He's one of the, from the heathen, from the group of the heathen, from the group of people out there that no Christian, no believer, okay, would would have chosen. But isn't the Bible filled with cases like that, of God reaching down and picking somebody up from the, you know, from the mud, someone that no one else would use, no one else would... Um, you know, would uh, use for any purposes. This is what the Bible is filled with. I mean, we could go from David, we could go from uh, on and on and on and on. The Bible is filled with men uh, and women, but mostly men that basically were imperfect men. Okay, I'm not saying that President Trump is is like is like David. That's not the point. The point is. God chose to use this man. Okay? He chose it. He, he, I mean, he can do whatever he wants. And the reason that he raised this man up was not to make Christians feel good about themselves, you know. This man is doing things that not even presidents that call themselves Christians, okay, uh, even attempted to do. This man is bringing down, uh, Babylon. This man is going after pedophile ring after pedophile rings. He is he's calling the spade a spade. He's calling the, the the networks corrupt. I never I have never seen any man in politics do that before. I mean, they have had squabbles, they have had uh, disagreements with presidents, but I don't recall any president ever having the boldness to tell them to their face what they really are. A bunch of quick, liars and a bunch of fake news. Quick uh, question so, for you, Brother Perez. Quick quick question. Yeah, um, I don't want to take you off track, but this was just so profound when I saw it this morning. Did you by chance see the picture of Lady Gaga, who, who I personally believe may be one of the most demonized uh, performers in pop culture? Mm-hmm. Did you see that picture, Brother, of Lady Gaga standing behind... Uh, President mm-hmm. Carter through Obama. Did you see that picture? I did. I did see it. And it and I would, thought would it you, was very symbolic. Oh, it was it was so symbolic and it was so creepy. I wonder if I don't want to take you too far off track because you're really on a roll. But uh, would you care to comment on that? Because there, because you have all of the last uh, what twenty eight? No, make that thirty two years of globalist rule over this country. But you'll notice the president missing from that picture and Lady Gaga's in white and she's standing behind them kind of presiding over them my goodness I thought it was it was frighteningly biblical well Lady Gaga along with Madonna and Beyonce all these are the queens of the occult they have performed at the halftime and in, in football I mean this is what they do they know they are part they are part of this thing and <clears throat> she was standing right behind uh, Papa Bush or I should say Poppy Bush and the and the and his son that the other Bush, and to the other side was Obama, and then uh, I mean Clinton on the end, and then Carter on the other end. I mean, I mean what a perfect uh, Photoshop 
picture, I mean, a perfect picture, perfect picture of, you know, what it represents. And that is, that is the Babylon system, right there. That is Babylon. And, and Babylon is going to fall. And this is what I want to bring to the people, uh, and what you mentioned before, John, um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll hit on that a bit. And that is the, um, the dispensation, the, the transition that we are entering. Okay, we are in the transition right now of dispensation. And I, uh, we have heard that this happened or started happening in 2012. And, uh, we have heard that it was happening also this year with this, you know, this symbolic star sign that took place on September 23rd. And all of these things, and people were predicting the end of the world and this and that, but it was never about the end of the world. It never was. These are prophetic, uh, uh if you will, uh, symbols, pro- uh, prophetic uh, markers in the timeline. God basically, the, the Almighty saying to us, pay attention what time you're in right now. And, uh, America, the United States needed, okay, the, the, the Babylon system had to be brought down. It has to be brought down. This is not just about America. There's a lot of preachers out there, and, and I respect everybody's opinion, and everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But this is not about, quote unquote, America. This is about Babylon. And America has, yes, America has represented Babylon a lot. But so has uh, Europe, so has uh, uh, Canada, Australia, and on and on and on and on and on. Many, many, many countries <clears throat> represent uh, Babylon. And uh, China, I mean, I mean, who is probably got the, the stronger... Uh, uh, currency or uh, is aspiring to get the strongest currency. So China is involved, Russia is involved, all of these countries are involved. Israel is involved. So Babylon, <clears throat> this is about Babylon, bringing down Babylon. And in order to bring down Babylon, all of these things had to be exposed. Okay? Uh, the, the, the NFL is being exposed to the what it really is. A bunch of uh, spoiled brats uh, that don't even know what they're doing. Uh, like this guy, Kaepernick, now uh, wearing a, sh- a T-shirt of Fidel Castro. I mean, these people don't know what they're doing. They don't, don't, I mean, don't these people realize who Castro is? He's a communist I dictator. I, I mean, I think they, they, they know, but we see what hap- what's hap- has happened, Augusto. Is we have, uh, we, you know, with, with Colin Kirkpatrick, who no longer has a job as an NFL quarterback due to his protesting of, of the national anthem and many other things, uh, you know, you see people wearing the, the Czech Guevara shirts, uh, the yeah. Fidel Castro shirts, um, you know, people used to celebrate Manuel Noriega, Pablo Escobar, and it seems that we have seen the left, um, you know, embrace these types of people even to the point where, uh, you know, former terror, a former terrorist from Puerto Rico was invited to a, a pride parade in New York and was celebrated, uh, by other famous actors and whatnot. And this whole society we have seems to, uh, demonize the good. It'll, you know, throw the Bible out of schools, throw the Bible and Christianity out of the, the courthouse and out of politics. But at the same time, it, it, it embraces, uh, the public schools embrace, you know, the, the, uh, Satanism and, and the Baphomet statues. 
and these, uh, you know, trendy things to do now in, in left-wing politics is, you know, embrace uh, terrorists and, and uh, these people who have done nothing but, you know, brought death and destruction to society. And I think it speaks to uh, where this con- where we are uh, in this country when you see, uh, you know, abortion as being praised, when you see uh, turning children into LGBT kind of people being praised. Um, this is, is what's being celebrated in our communities, and it is so morally bankrupt. It seems like we, you know, this would be the, the end of days, what Sodom and Gomorrah look like. Augusto, we are up against the break. We're going to be back in just a few minutes after this network break. Go to Augusto's website, theappearance.com, and he is the author of several books. He's got a great ministry, and uh, bookmark his website. Check it out. Search it out. There's a lot of excellent info there. He'll be with us through the next hour, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Our guest is Augusto Perez. Stay tuned. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a thing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. 
Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Precious Timber Profits. Back to hour number two of this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Joe Hagman here, and my father Doug Hagman was here with us in the first hour, and John Robertson is filling in for him now. He's going to be with us for the, through the end of the show. And we got Augusto Perez as our guest. He's going to be on with us through the rest of this hour. Theappearance.com is the website. And we were talking about Augusto's last appearance with us about five, six months ago, where he talked about his experience, how he was shown... Uh, Donald Trump and the similarities to Cyrus, the uh, biblical figure who not only was in power when Babylon was brought down, but also established uh, through God's decree the release of the Israelis to build the second temple and the similarities of the power structures of Babylon falling and the similarities today of the power structures in America falling, whether it's in the entertainment industry from Hollywood to the NFL to the DNC and the political establishment, to the mainstream media. Uh, you can even extend it to, you know, charitable organizations like the Red Cross have been shown how ineffective and, and corrupt they are. You know, Joe, uh, uh, Brother Perez joined us last on February 17th of 2017. The title of that uh, show for our listeners and viewers who may want to go back and review it, and I recommend you do. Joe, I remember he was on fire that night. I mean, oh, yeah. he, he was really dropping the hammer on the anvil. Uh, and that's one of the things we love about Augusto Perez. But the title of that was Trump's Tumultuous... Uh, tumult, tr- <laughs> it's a little bit of a tongue twister, and I'm known for those. Trump's Tumultuous First Hundred, and that was Dr. Ted Brower as well as Augusto Perez. Augusto, welcome back, brother. Good to be with you. Well, we uh, we ended the, the last segment uh, talking about, you know, the similarities between Cyrus and Trump and the... Uh, the fall of Babylon and the fall of the institution of institutions of power here in America. Well, where do you want to pick up, Augusto, in the second hour? Well, uh, one of the things that I need to share to the people, okay, because like I said at the beginning of the program, when there is confusion, okay, or there is doubt, about where we are or what we are dealing with. You see, if if people do not understand the moment that we are living in and who this man is and the fact that what happened last November in the elections was divine intervention, a divine intervention of the Lord, not because this country deserved it, not because of uh, that we are very good people, no, it happened because of the prayers of the saints. There was a lot of prayer going on, a lot of crying and supplications, a lot of tears, a lot of repentance, and a lot of fasting going on. And the Lord always recognizes these things. He will not turn a blind eye to these things from His people. And so His people, uh, 
knew that this was it. This was the last chance. Because if Hillary Clinton would have gotten in there, I mean, we've been talking about Mystery Babylon. What would have happened to Mystery Babylon if a prototype of Jezebel would have gotten in? I mean, I don't even want to go there. But uh, this is what we were dealing with. And so the people cried unto the Lord. And the Lord delivered uh, them out of the hand of Jezebel. And uh, for what Babylon could have, this nation could have really become uh, the, the habitation of, of unclean birds, just like it says in, in the book of Revelation. And he was, he was heading there, and, uh, you know, it's still trying to go there, but <clears throat> this man, because of this man, Cyrus, who in the book of Daniel, okay, he talks about uh, in, in, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 28, he says that Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. In other words, in other words, he went well for, for, for Daniel and his people. He went well for the children of Israel under the kingdom of Cyrus, under the rulership of Cyrus. He went well for them, okay? Regardless of what anybody thought about Cyrus back then, the man did good to God's people. And this is what a lot of people don't understand, uh, Joe and John. They don't understand. Uh, they cannot separate things. They just cannot see the trees, uh, I mean, in the forest. They just cannot separate the two. They just cannot separate the fact that God can use a man, even if he is not the prototype of of Christianity and, uh, you know, a biblical uh, man or godly man. They don't understand that God can use anyone he wants. He can use a donkey if he wants to. And he chose to use this man. Now, <clears throat> this man is trying to overturn Roe versus Wade. I don't know if you, if you guys saw what he just said recently. But he made a statement, very profound statement, if you ask me, saying that, a life begins at conception. And that to me is a mouthful. That is something that very few presidents dared to say. Not even Bush said that. And, you know, Bush, uh, you know, passed a law that restricted abortion, you know, uh, 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 no abortion, you know, uh, after a certain amount of time and that sort of thing. So, you know, he, he at least put the brakes on, but he never went as far, as far as I know, he never went as far to say that it begins at conception, and if you take the life of a, of, 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 of a baby in the womb, okay, right after it is conceived, uh, that is murder. And so, what we're looking at here is the possibility, the very strong possibility, that there may be one or two more justices in the Supreme Court Okay, that will be put in by Mr. Trump and will be able to overturn Roe versus Wade. And, uh, you are already seeing how, uh, these things are changing. The gangs and the gangsters are being apprehended. Uh, the Muslims, uh, terrorists are not being allowed to come in. Now, how can anyone in their right mind see these things? Happening and still think that this man does not mean well for Christians. I mean, well, you, you know, Brother Prez, I just want to jump in here quickly because 
you wrote so in such a prescient manner about this. And again, uh, visit theappearance.com, uh, listeners and viewers, if you have not done so already, and bookmark it. We use it at Hagman Report uh, very often. And uh, Joe, I don't know about you, but I've, I've gone to that website for years. Oh yeah, uh, but brother, but brother Perez, bear with me while I uh, reflect some of your writing back to you, and I'll be brief. But I think this is so pertinent to what uh, you are suggesting tonight. And I'm not sure when you wrote this, uh, but I'll I'll go quickly. Uh, uh, Augusto Perez writes: The reign of the Spirit has fallen at different times intermittently until now, but the Lord reserved the best wine for last. More people. Now this is the, this is the key. More people have been saved and converted to Christianity in the last decade than in the previous 2,000 years combined. A church within a church is rising up, a remnant group of believers that were hidden for a season while they were being trained and tested in the fires of affliction. I wonder if that sounds familiar to anyone listening tonight. These dread warriors will make the powers of darkness tremble, turning the world upside down as the harvest of souls take place. Uh, Brother Perez, you've spent a lot of time in Latin America, and I'm just literally blown back in my chair with what you wrote. Uh, Particularly, uh, more people have been saved and converted to Christianity in the last decade than in the previous 2,000 years combined. Uh, Augusto Perez, how does that tie into what you told us about in uh, Daniel chapter 6 overall? Well, I believe that it ties in basically in the in the in the sense that God needs to bring in the harvest. How was the Lord going to bring in the harvest in this end time? Okay, I'm finished doing this, which is this is really uh, the heart. This is at the heart of, of of heaven, really. Bring in the harvest. If America would have been taken completely, okay, over, run over by these devils. That that would have been out the window, and you know that, I know that, and we all know that, and they don't understand it. And so, <clears throat> in the heart of God, the most important thing there is, okay, it's not about judging and destroying the wicked, although that is part of his, he, he will destroy the wicked, trust me. The time will come when he will destroy the wicked and everything that is ungodly. He will do that, okay? But the most important thing right now in his agenda is not destroying the the wicked and all these things. There is a time for that. For To everything there is a season. And what he wants to do in this season is bring in the harvest. And in order to bring in the harvest... He needed to hold back the forces of evil and darkness in this country so that his people could do the work. And this is where Cyrus comes in. This is where President Trump comes in. He comes in basically, and if you will, he puts the wall up and, uh, you know, the, 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 the ungodliness, okay, the wave of filth and ungodliness cannot continue. It stopped for the moment. Now, how long will this be? I don't know. But I do know one thing, and that is that we have been given a time and a season for this to happen, to bring in the harvest. And we, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the things that, uh, that the Lord uh, spoke to me, okay, back in, um, 
And earlier this year, in the month of August 12th of this year, in the middle of the night, he spoke to me, and he says, Heaven needs trainers. Why need trainers for the great harvest about to take place? So not not only does he need workers now, now he needs trainers, which I had never heard the Lord put it that way before. I always knew that he needed workers. Jesus said, uh, pray that the Lord of the harvest sends forth laborers into the field. But I have never heard the Lord say, I need uh, trainers. which And that tells me that the need is so great that uh, we need to, tra- you know, we need trainers that can train others to go out and bring in the harvest. And there is an urgency in heaven uh, for this because darkness is approaching. All these prophecies, okay? Let me share something about this real quick, uh, 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 Joe and, and John, that will tie into all these things that we've been talking about. And this, what I'm about to say is very important. Very, very important. And what you mentioned, what you read, uh, John, I I wrote that a few years ago, and I still believe it goes. I did a a a, a, um, a teaching series on the, um, on the Melchizedek priesthood. I had an experience of a few years when I was in Ecuador, and I, in the middle of the night, I saw the Lord Jesus Christ and dressed in his Melchizedek priesthood. Okay. And at that night, he gave basically an invitation for the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, I'm not going to get into that because that's a big old teaching. Uh, I have done a lot of uh, teaching on that, and I cannot possibly cover uh, that material in, in the short time that we have tonight. But basically what I'm saying is, I said that to say this, that uh, the Lord is really, really wanting to raise up a Melchizedek priesthood a group of people, a group of believers and Christians. I'm not talking about super evangelists or super prophets or apostles or whatever. No, I'm not talking about these people that are stars and TV and TBN and on and on and all these uh, other uh, TV stations. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people, just normal people that love God with all their heart, that are sold out, lock, stock, and barrel, and want to follow Jesus wherever He leads. And these are the people that He is going to raise up. These are just normal people. And, you know, people that, that if, 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 if we were to know their names, we don't know them. We don't know who they are. And so this is what the Lord is doing. But in order to do that, uh, He had to bring in someone to stop, if you will, the onslaught and to, if you will, bring about some a sense of protection of his chosen ones. Because if the devil would have had his way, he would have destroyed the chosen seed of God, those that he has been training in secret for years, that the devil would have destroyed them. He would have thrown them in FEMA camps. He would have killed them. He, I mean, you know, I mean, you know all that. And that was the plan. That was the plan. And Aha. Uh, but, Aha. Okay, let me, bear with me here. I'm catching up with you, Brother Perez. Uh, so, Trump, President Trump, I'm trying to break the habit of calling him Trump. He is President Trump. Trump it, Trump is a blessing to us from the Lord. Uh, I'm sure, well, I'll just state my opinion. I, I don't look at, at our country today and particularly think we deserved 
President Trump, what we probably deserve based on our actions, and you can start with abortion, is Hillary Clinton for president. That's probably what this nation uh, that has so many reprobate souls in it at this time deserves. But if I'm hearing you correctly, Brother Prez, so, so Trump is... Trump was a blessing from the Lord, but you just said that now it's time to raise up people that, that heretofore their names are unknown to us. So my hope is that tonight, we've got you for uh, almost a, well about a segment and a half here, uh, how do we identify these people? You're talking to thousands of people, I believe, who are willing to be those people, but I would also suggest that you're talking to thousands of people who don't know how to be those people, Brother Perez. Well, this is why the Lord raised me up back in 1992. Uh, I've never shared that. Uh, I may have. I'm not sure. But that is the calling that God gave me back when I was pastoring a church in Miami, Florida. I pastored for seven years there. We, we raised up a church. And in 1992, I had an experience where I saw the Lord, it was the most beautiful experience. I don't share this often and because it is so close to my heart, but uh, he basically called me into this ministry, and he basically told me what I was going to do. And in order to do that, I had to leave all of that. I had to leave the church. I had to leave Miami. I had to leave everything and go to a place that he was going to show me. And basically, in a nutshell, a long story short is, he wanted me to prepare his bride for his coming and he he showed me the condition of the church the, the church was uh, corrupted the church was weak the church was feeble the church was contaminated the church was worldly in fact uh, he, he, he said he was not very encouraged with the condition of the church and so he, that is he, he told me he said you're not the only one that I am raising up to prepare my people he said there are many others I'm placing this call on, okay? So I didn't understand even back then what that was. But that is where this ministry is uh, it comes in, which is, you know, preparing the emerging army, releasing the abilities and natural callings of everyone, okay? Preparing the emerging army. The Lord gave me this vision several years ago about, you know, preparing the emerging army. This army that is emerging has to be, first of all, like you said, has to be identified, Okay? There are some people that may say, I believe I'm, I'm in that. I believe that. I don't know what it is, but the Lord has called me. So, there are people that have a feeling. They have an, 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 an knowing. They have something. They know that God has their hand, his hand on them, but they don't know what for. They don't know what to do. They think it's probably to start a church somewhere, you know, a, 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 a uh, you know, like one of these uh, churches in the malls, you know, whatever, do that. Uh, they, they don't know. They don't know what it is that the Lord has called them to do. But <clears throat> the Lord is raising up an army, and then after that army is identified, they have to be uh, trained. They have to be equipped. They have to be then uh, released to fulfill that, uh, what the Lord called them to do. And this is something that is not being done in the churches, is not being done in the seminaries, is not being done in any of these places. And so that is that is what this is about. Now, uh, the other thing I want to talk about, and and you know, transition into that is the fact that uh, a, a lot of the things that uh, see, l- l- like for example, just to give you one example, 
there are many prophetic voices out there, okay? Good people, okay? I'm talking about people that really can hear from God, but they have never been trained. They have never been taught, okay, how to you know how to function how to how to flow how to do these things and as a result of that they kind of go around hacking and whacking and you know uh, destroying have a, 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 a you know of, of a group of people before they can heal anybody and this is a very sad condition the same can be said for churches and pastors just to give you one quick example for example okay there are many out there well-meaning uh, watchmen, uh, prophet, prophetic people, let's just call them prophetic people, let's not call them prophets, prophetic people, watchmen that, let's say, get a dream from God, or they get a vision from God. They get a vision about something bad that is about to happen. Okay? Now, was that from God, or was that not from the Lord? You see, that's the first question. Many of them receive true words from the Lord. They receive true visions and dreams from God. And many of them will say, well, then this was from God. Therefore, if this was from God, it must come to pass. But you see, that is totally wrong. And I'm given a very important teaching right here, right now, on the air. And many, hopefully many people will be able to grasp this and learn from this. Hopefully, because this is something that the Lord had to teach me, not in a seminary or in a book, but through the years in the wilderness that I had to go through. Okay? He taught this to me himself. And so, uh, one of the things I would say to those people out there, you're a prophetic, okay? You can hear from the Lord and you see something, a dream or a vision, and you automatically say, okay, God gave me a dream, therefore this is going to happen. I mean, something bad, whatever. There's going to be a, 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 a you know, people are going to be killed. There's going to be a terrorist going to come in and destroy. Well, here's the point. Here's the important point about this. 99%, I would, I would probably say 98, 99% of the visions and dreams that people receive from God, okay? I'm talking about from God, not because people can receive dreams and visions from the second heaven, which is the plans of the devil for the people, or the plans of the devil for a city, or the plans of the devil for a country. Those is what, those dreams are, is what I called second heaven uh, experience, which the person, the prophetic person, you see, prophetic people are like antennas. The people that have been endowed by God. Because this is a gift. It's not something that we deserve or we earn. He gives it to his people. When God gives a prophetic gift into an individual, that person has, if you will, the hardware to be able to tap into, okay, uh, waves, okay, uh, if you will, signals coming in from heaven, but they can also tap into signals coming in from the second heaven, which is the realm of the demonic. The Sometimes people can tap into that and think 
automatically that it is the Lord. It is from God. When it is not from God, they just tap into the plans of the enemy to do something wicked and evil, and they think it is from God. Therefore, they think it is something that surely must come to pass. So they come into agreement with that a terrible uh, dream that they had from, you know, uh, uh, plants of the of the enemy. They come into agreement with that, and they literally give it life. They breathe life into it, if you will, by by declaring it, by confessing it, and by saying this is going to happen. So basically, they come into agreement with plants of the enemy. Oh, brother Perez, no, uh, what I got was from God. Okay, let's say that what you got was from the Lord and not from the second heaven. Okay, let's just assume that. If God shows you something bad like that, that is going to take place, your son is going to die, or your uncle is going to pass away, or something horrible is going to take place in your city, if when, or somewhere else. When the Lord shows you, and, 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 and you know, I'm saying the Lord. We are sure now we are, we are given the benefit of the data say this is from the Lord. If the Lord shows something like that to a prophetic person, to a watchman, a watchwoman, that does not mean that is His will. Let me repeat that. If a person receives a dream or a vision of some horrific thing that is, you know, uh, could take place, and they shown this is going to take place. That does not automatically mean that this is God's will and God is about to judge something or someone. This is not, you know, I would say 98% of the time, basically it is the Lord showing people stuff that the enemy is planning on doing. And he is showing these things to his people so that they can stand up, raise up a standard against it, and pray against it, and do something to stop it. And this is where the church is missing it. The majority of believers don't understand what to do with a dream or a vision. They think that, you know, if it, God showed me something, it must be from God, and therefore no one can stop it. Not true. There are things that maybe one or two percent, there are things that will happen no matter what. That is, thus saith the Lord. But that is a very small portion of things that people receive from the spirit realm. Remember that we're talking about uh, believers, you know, prophetic people, watchmen. They have they have uh, equipment. They have, if you will, spiritual equipment, hardware, that they are able to tap into these things, and they can receive sensory, okay, spiritual sensory information from the second heaven or the third heaven. But it is what we do with that information, really, that is going to miss. Many times people receive a, a, a true uh, 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 message from the Lord. And number, and number one, they misinterpret it. They misinterpret it because the, 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 the message was genuine, but the, interp- the interpretation was not. It was flawed. And therefore, that is the first 
way to miss something from God is by getting the wrong interpretation. It's interpreted wrong. That is where the majority of the problems arise from faulty interpretation, wrong interpretation. Okay? Secondly, where mistakes are made a lot is people assuming, prophetic people, watchmen, watchwomen, assuming that just because you receive a dream, okay, that maybe it was from God, if it was from God, okay, let's assume it was from God, and you're sure it was from the Lord, that you assume then, number two, that this is something that surely must happen, because the Lord showed it to you. And you don't understand that many times the Lord shows us things so that we can pray against those things, so that those things do not come to pass, that that is the plan of the enemy. And so this is where I am seeing a lot of problems. And as long as there are watchmen and and prophetic people out there that believe like that, uh, they're never going to pray against it. And therefore, they come into agreement with the plans of the devil, either whether they are, whether they pick it up from the second heaven or they are revealed to them by the Most High Lord. Uh, you know, they agree with it. They come into agreement with it and believe that that is what is going to happen. And there's no nobody that can stop it. And uh, and therefore, nothing happens. No prayer goes up. Nobody. Uh, does intercessory prayer, and because basically people do not understand what prayer is, and that I mean that is the beginning of the problem right there. Prayer, God has given us this incredible, incredible uh, blessing, incredible privilege called prayer to participate with the the Creator of the universe, with the King of Glory. Okay, in basically. Uh, bringing his will manifested here on the earth. And that is what prayer is. If you look at the prayer model that Jesus Christ taught his disciples, he said, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What is the will of the Father? To bring his kingdom down here to his earth. Where, is, is, there, is there abortion in the kingdom of heaven? No. Is there murder in the kingdom of heaven? No. Is there uh, ISIS beheading people in the streets in the kingdom of heaven? No. Is there corruption in people, okay, and in Hollywood and pedophiles in heaven? No. Thy kingdom come here on the earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. That is the will of the Father. And if we if we don't understand that, how are we going to pray like that? How are we going to stop this? Filth and this onslaught, this wave of filth. How are we gonna, how are we gonna fight against it if we don't even know what we're supposed to be praying? Okay? So, and then if you continue in the prayer, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is God's will on earth for these horrific things to be happening? Of course not. So what is God's will? God's will, He wants to do His will on the earth as it is in heaven. So how do we do this, Brother Augusto? Well, we have to pray. That's why Jesus taught His disciples, pray like this. This is a model. Pray like this. If God's will always is done on the earth, 
why would he tell his disciples to pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? If it is automatically done, you see? So this is an, a doctrinal error that has to be eradicated. This is a mindset. This is a stronghold, if you will, that is stopping God's people from going forward, from being what God intended them to be. And, uh, you know, from... Uh, they continue to allow these horrible things to happen around them because we're not praying against them. Exactly, things, brother. Brother Perez, I'm sorry. This can me, be averted, brother John and brother uh, Joe. And exactly, and I and I want to pause you on that word stronghold. There are two things that have been heavy on on my heart and mind lately, uh, uh, brother Augusto, and I think they go hand in hand. One one is probably a fairly short answer. The other one may be a little more involved. Uh, first of all, I sense over the past, I'm going to say three or four years, that this term watchman is being bandied around far too much, and it is, it seems to have become an in vogue, uh, title, uh, in our community, if you will, in, in the community of, of, of remnant believers, everything from remnant believers to the liberty movement to, to patriots, uh, to be a watchman. You know, a watchman on the wall. It even sounds cool. And the other thing that concerns me, and I think, again, the two sort of tie in. You use the word stronghold. I speak with and interview and meet so many people week in and week out. I read their work. Uh, we consider them as guests on the show, etc., who don't realize it, but they are spending 90% of their time chasing Satan. They are spending 90% of their time parsing through and and reviewing the handicraft of the enemy and maybe 10% of their time chasing Jesus. Now, how on earth are we going to correct any of this with that model, Brother Perez? What do you think? Well, uh, exactly. That's exactly my point. Uh, It cannot be. It cannot be corrected with that model uh, because of the mindset. See, a, a mindset is basically... A belief system that has been crystallized in the minds of people throughout the years through things they have learned in college or things they have learned in Bible school, things they have learned in in Sunday school, things they learned from their pastor and and things that they heard and things that they read in the book. And so all this conglomerate, uh, they didn't check it. They didn't check it to make sure it was biblical or Maybe, you know, they just, uh, it felt good, it sounded good, and they accepted it, and therefore now it has become a part of it. And that is a mindset. <clears throat> and one of the things the Lord had to do with me was break the mindset that I had of all these religious ideas. I had so many religious ideas that were not uh, rooted in the Word of God. They were, they had no foundation in the Word of God. And so, <clears throat> because I, I, I had believed them because good people had taught them to me. Good men, pastors that had, that were good people, uh, that I loved, that I respected. So I, you know, I just accepted it, embraced it, and became a mindset. But these mindsets have to be demolished if we are going to go forward. And I know that it may sound like a cliche, but trust me, it is much more than a cliche. And, uh, you know, one of the things that the Lord showed me uh, was that in order for me to be able to receive from the Holy Spirit, I had to become like a little child. And the scripture that comes to mind is uh, Luke 
when he says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. <clears throat> and the Lord had to show me that if I wanted to receive fresh manna of revelation from him, I had to become like a little child. I had to get rid of all these airs of, you know, of, uh, that I knew better or, uh, or I thought I learned this and, you know, whenever a person gets to that point where they don't think that they can learn anything from anyone or anyone can give them an advice because they know better, the moment we get to that point, that is the point where people stop growing and they start drying up. They start basically dry, drying in the vine. And they may, they may think that they are growing, but they're not. Because the only way to grow and to receive, to continue to receive from the Holy Spirit is to remain as a little child. And, you know, many times I wonder, Father, how come that, you know, all of these other people that are so many out there, they can't see this thing. It's so, it's so clear. It's so, it's so evident. It's so easy to understand. How come they can't see it? And that is one, and the main answer really is because you have to become as a little child. You know how little children are? They are so humble and they are so, they believe things. They, they don't have this attitude, you know, a cynical attitude or, you know, that they doubt everything and they, they try to, 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 you know, find the angle, you know, to see if they can win the argument, you know. That is a manipulative mind a manipulative person that will not work with God with the Lord we have to become like a little child you know just just sit here and just teach me just feed me feed me Lord like a little lamb just show me and so this is the reason why these things are not happening but the problem here and the danger is uh, Joe and John that we are running out of time and like I said in my last newsletter, I believe we had a shift in time. That means that uh, there was a timeline that we were going by, okay, and it was not going to end up good, like we already shared first part of this program. And <clears throat> the Lord had to shift the timeline, and basically, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a maybe a, a funny sounding word, you know, shifting the timeline. Basically, the Bible, the Bible talks about shifting the timeline all the time. Except it, it may not call it shift in time. Basically, it's a divine intervention. Okay? But it's the same thing. Whenever there is a divine intervention by the Most High in heaven, upon the earth, is what we called a miracle. A miracle is a divine intervention of God on the earth that stops the normal flow of things and brings about impossible things that normally would not have happened. And therefore, there is a shift. And the events that were supposed to happen, it doesn't happen. This is what a lot of people do not understand. And we can apply this to what I was sharing before about the dreams and visions. See? People don't understand this that the Almighty dwells in a 
dimensionless time zone. There is no past, present, and future. Okay? There is no past, present, and future in heaven. Therefore, in the prophetic realm, okay, and, and again, I'm teaching, I'm teaching out there, so you guys that are in the prophetic, that you're learning, you, you know you have a prophetic uh, anointing, listen up and take notes. When you are in the prophetic realm, there is no time there. That is why it is very, very difficult, extremely, extremely difficult, almost impossible, to predict a certain time that something is going to happen in the Spirit. Because when we are in the Spirit, there is no time. So how can we know that something is going to happen in a certain time when, you know, we are in a dimension, in a timeless dimension? That is why when people go to heaven and they have experiences in heaven, they, they, you know, they spend uh, what seems an eternity there, okay? And uh, when they come back to earth, it's just, what, like an hour? And vice versa. Because there's no time in heaven. And so that is the first thing. That is the first thing. The second thing is that when people receive a vision or a dream, okay, and they see something happening, okay, that, again, is something that is in the sphere, okay, in the sphere and that dimension, and it is there for, you know, and it could become, it could become a part of a timeline, if you will. It could, it could come to pass. It could happen. Okay? It doesn't mean it will happen. It could happen. Okay? And, uh, and, and so if we sit automatically on, on our hands, and we sit and say, well, uh, so and so had a dream and a vision that this is going to happen, and so and so had a dream that this is going to happen. So it must happen. It it certainly will happen. Well, that is not true. Those are warning, if you will, signs from heaven, telling us, "Hey, wake up! These things are coming down the pike. They could happen. It could become a reality if you don't wake up, smell the coffee, and." You know, get on your praying gear and pray and repent and bombard heaven and bring God's will on the earth as it is in heaven and bring the kingdom of God down on the earth and then those things will not materialize, at least for a while. Not not right now, as we were shown. It may happen further down in the timeline. You know, I could give you many examples. King Hezekiah. I could give you Nineveh. I mean, on and on, the, 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 the Bible is full of stories like that where these things happen. And so we need to understand these things or we are not going to be successful. Right now there is a battle raging in the, in the spirit realm regarding President uh, Trump and the powers of darkness. His, this man is literally fighting barehandedly, okay, or I should say single-handedly, Against the deep state, uh, the witches, the warlocks, the Satanists, okay, the, the Democrats, the, the 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 leftists, the Muslims, the, the the terrorists, and even many of the Republicans who are part of the thing. And how can how can any Christian say that this guy is part of it? How can he be fighting against himself, Jesus himself? I mean. The, the, the people in the days of Messiah, 
they 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 made the same mistakes. They they were talking the same lingo. They kept telling him, well, you, know, you are Beelzebub. You are, you know, they were accusing him of being the devil. And Jesus had to say, you don't know what you're saying. How can I, okay, be the devil, and how can I be tearing down the works of darkness? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And this is something so simple and so powerful and so beautifully wise that came from the lips of the Master, you know? And yet, most people today cannot understand this thing. If this guy, okay, if Donald Trump, President Trump, were of the devil, and he was really trying to, if you will, destroy the Christians, <laughs> why would he be fighting the very things that, are, that, the, 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 that the other devils did to destroy us? You see, he would be fighting himself. And that Jesus... He, he, he solved that riddle real fast, real quick, by saying the kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Now, I mean, I am a very simple person, uh, Joe and John, and, you know, I, maybe this is why the Lord reveals these things to me, because I don't do mental gymnastics and, you know, all that other stuff. I am very, 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 very down to earth, very plain, and I humble myself before the Lord, and He shows me things, and, I see it so clearly, so, so clearly. And I, I don't understand how people can have problems seeing this. Because it's so clear. People are, uh, you know, doing mental gymnastics, you know, with conspiracy theories and this and that, that did that, that did that, that did that. Double-minded thinking. All the time the enemy is gaining advantage. And if we lose this opportunity, and we do not uphold this man, Whatever you may think of him, Donald Trump, President Trump, if we do not uphold this man that God has put in there and he has given us to safeguard us for a season so that we can do, so that he can do through us what he wants to do, if this is gone, if, if they take him out, if they manage to undo him and remove him, uh, we are not going to be, we are not going to be good. We are going to be in a pickle. And not only are we going to be in a pickle, the Lord is going to be very upset and mad at us for not uh, taking advantage of something that all of us should have seen, and we should all be working together to make this work. And Augusto, you, uh, you, you really, um, that was a great rant. I don't know that you wanted to be a rant more so than a teaching, but I want to ask you a question. As we continue to move forward in this prophetic calendar, as we continue to see things changing, do you believe that uh, these dreams and visions will continue to increase both for deceptive purposes and uh, the Lord giving this information to His chosen? Well, I think it's going to increase. I believe that those that are open uh, to it will receive it. Uh, those that are not open to it will not receive it. Uh, it's like everything in life. And, um, you know, I, I will continue to teach. And, uh, you know, sometimes I get carried away uh, by my passion because I feel very strongly about this. But I gave a lot of nuggets out there. I gave a lot of nuggets out there uh, to people to uh, grasp it, uh, in, even in the middle of a rant and... Uh, and uh but uh 
this thing uh, is not going to go very well unless people understand the times that we are in. And uh, I would suggest this. And uh, if if you really want to receive from the Lord, okay, you need to humble yourself. You need to humble yourself and become very, very humble and not be arrogant. Be teachable, okay? Because the moment there's a lot of this going on around, and, and this is why the condition of the church that it is in, that is that people don't think that they need to learn anything. They know everything. And mm-hmm. I know because I used to be like that. I used to be like that many years ago. And the Lord had to throw me down from my my horse. Okay? So I know what it is to be humbled. And uh, many people will be humbled. And they are being humbled. But there's much more to come. Very interesting, Augusto. And we we got about uh, <clears throat> six or seven minutes left in this hour. And uh, many people, you know, after, I don't know, maybe it wasn't the last time you were on the show, maybe the time before. This was about a year and a half ago. We had you on the show, and a listener sent me a number of your books and explained to me how you had a, a five-fold ministry. And I, I, being, you know, a Christian my whole life and not, really understanding all the the I didn't know what a fivefold ministry was and I I read your books and I read what he sent me and it was a beautiful uh you know two or three page letter explaining uh your history and and everything that you've been uh, doing and working on and um you know it really opened my eyes to some things and would you be open to I mean say people are <clears throat> have experienced um you know a vision or dreams that they believe are are given to them from the Lord, what, how would they go about, uh, you know, seeking guidance to make sure that they're uh, uh, properly, you know, d- discerning properly? What would your advice to that be? Well, uh, we, in one of our books, uh, we teach on that, a whole chapter on uh, dreams and visions. They could uh, maybe get that. Or uh, we also have a program uh, on Tuesdays where people write in and they many times send in uh, a dream that they may have had or a vision asking uh, maybe for help uh, if, if it is from the Lord. If, it, if, it's not, if it's a sweet potato dream or what I call an internal dream, I, I, I usually mention that to them. I said, no, this is an internal dream. It is for you. Uh, also, what could be a purging dreams? Not every dream is from God. It's a message from God. There are many, okay. many dreams that are just purging dreams, um, which means we go to sleep at night, and that is when the Lord, okay, uh, designed us so that our subconscious mind, uh, basically, uh, it, uh, it, it, you know, it, uh, it purges. It, it's purged of all these uh, things that are not good for us things that uh, are offensive to us or are harmful to us, things that, you know, traumatic things that we have uh, gone through. And so these things begin to be perched. And so our mind has a way of, um, our subconscious mind has a way of making everything like a movie, okay? It's like it's, it's like a, you know, uh, we are the producer. Our, our, our mind is the producer. And so it chooses, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
people or, or certain personalities to represent certain emotions and certain things. Sometimes it may even be animals. I explain that in the book. And, and so many times these things that people dream is, is just that, purging, uh, purging dreams. And many times people uh, misinterpret it and think that it is a message from God. And there's no message there at all. When, they, when it is a message from the Lord, there is a definite presence of God. And there is uh, definitely a confirmation. And there is a clarity. And there is a presence about it. And you'll know it. But the majority of the dreams are not messages from God. And this is one of the first things people need to understand. S- sort of kind of separating the, the chaff from the wheat. You know, just, uh, you dream something, oh no, that was not from God. This is just, uh, you know, uh, purging dreams, or this is maybe the Lord dealing with me about maybe my character issues, maybe, maybe fear, uh, you know, people have issues with fear, or people have issues with, uh, pride, or, you know, all kinds of things. And because of the lack of, uh, the, of ability to interpret these things, they immediately think it is a message from God. When in fact, there is no message from God at all. It's just a dream, uh, purging dreams, internal dreams. And every once in a while, you may have a word from the Lord or a message from the Lord. Now, all, uh, you know, all of those internal dreams, they're not all bad. Many times the Lord may give you a dream, an internal dream, basically, uh, telling you, showing you what to do in a certain situation that you're facing. Okay, mm-hmm. so some people misinterpret that and think that is God's answer to a problem affecting the whole nation or the whole world, when in fact it is just for them. Very interesting. Uh, Augusto Perez is our guest. The website, theappearance.com, is the website. I would urge everybody to go there and and bookmark that. <clears throat> Augusto, last question for you. Any upcoming? Um, conferences, appearances, anything that you have that you want to promote before we let you go? Well, uh, we haven't done a conference this year. Uh, I have been convalescing from my back. Uh, I have some issues with my back, but I'm doing better, but I've been convalescing. But uh, I would just, um, we may have something um, soon. We may have something sometime soon if the Lord wills. I would, I would believe, I would say that, uh, Right now, the number one thing we need to focus uh, on is the um, this next few weeks is we need to pray. You need to really pray like probably never you pray before, asking the the Lord to uh, to show you, okay, these things that I just talked to you about, okay, to show you these things. And uh, how can you be a part of this end-time harvest? I think that is probably the number one thing. And by the way, when we do these conferences, that is one of the things that we emphasize is that we, uh, we, you know, we train. We do a lot of training. We do a lot of uh, in-house training uh, uh, workshops. Like, for example, uh, one time we, uh, we, we brought up a person uh, that was sick, had a pain and whatever in the body, and we just allowed someone else to go and pray for that person. We teach them how to pray for the for the sick. We teach them how to, uh, you know, how to witness. We teach them how to uh, become better leaders. 
we teach them how to even uh, sometimes we do the deliverance uh, uh, you know workshops where we teach them how to deal with somebody that needs deliverance and so all these things we um, you know we we do and then we give them uh, the opportunity to ask questions and, and by the way there in the in that program we have also uh, on Tuesdays we allow questions questions like if you have questions about these things we shared about tonight we answer those questions okay so you know just write us you know and and ask the question there's no uh you know uh you don't have to subscribe to anything or you know or become a part of anything uh, if you have a question and so you know you can subscribe to a newsletter but you don't have to okay so uh these are just uh, a lot of the things build up the body of Christ because that that's what the lord called me to do. Brother Augusto Perez has been our guest this hour, and uh, I just want to personally thank you, Brother Augusto, for, for the many years that you've uh, enabled me to better invite the Holy Spirit into my life. And I also want to tell you, sir, that uh, we have an interactive chat on YouTube that's going absolutely bonkers right now, thanking you, blessing you, saying they love you, uh, inviting you to come back soon. And I hope, Brother Perez, that you will come back and join us soon. Absolutely. Just let me know um, with a little time in advance, and uh, I will very much enjoy coming back. Well, we'd love to have you, Joe. Thanks, Augusto. You have a great night. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the Creator to His creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. on this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. If you missed the last hour and a half, well, really, if you missed the whole show, you got to go back and listen to the first two hours. We had Peter Barry Chowka on in the first segment, and we were talking about his latest article up on HagmanReport.com, the 1967 Pentagon March, a touchstone in the transformation of America. Then we were joined by Augusto Perez, who it was really a part two to an interview he did in February about the uh, prophetic implications of where we are in society today, as well as Donald Trump being in the office of the presidency and the relation to Cyrus and the fall of Babylon versus the fall of American institutions we see today and the similarities between them. It was really a very powerful and interesting hour and a half and we have a great guest coming up, a, a debut guest coming up in just a few moments. But I want to get to this first because this has been a buzz all day on Twitter. Laura Loomer, the investigative citizen journalist who's been out in Las Vegas uncovering a number of inconsistencies in the police reporting, uh, adding her investigative reporting, made the Las Vegas Sheriff's Department change the timeline I'm not sure if it was her reporting, but maybe it was her question of the leaked room service receipt that showed Paddock was in his room a day before police said he checked in and there was room service for two. Well, she announced she had footage from inside Mandalay Bay and was going to release a video, and she was going to do that today. Then earlier today she said, you know, I will release this video this afternoon. She released it about a half hour ago, and a lot of people feel let down. But what the video does show and it must have been shot from a 1980 VHS camera. Uh, it apparently shows somebody laying on the floor with a white sheet over them like they're dead on the Mandalay Bay casino floor, and then a few officers with their guns drawn walking through the casino. Now, we know at the shooting there have been many videos that have come out now about the Hooters Casino and Hotel where a number of wounded ran there and they were given these white sheets or blankets or towels, I'm not sure what they were, and a staging area was set up outside of Hooters where a lot of the victims were brought out uh, from and there's video of people saying, you know we're, you know, so many people are being taken out of this Hooters hotel and casino uh, you know, what's going on well, uh, many, as I said, many people felt let down by this video but again, there have been people who were running into these different hotels after they were wounded or shot 
So we really, the video doesn't say, there's not enough there to know what's really going on in that picture. So I don't want to say it's a letdown or it's a disappointment. It is a new piece of, of video evidence that we did not have before, but it seems like that there uh, is much more questions than answers like everything else with this investigation. But with that, we're going to move on to our Hour 3 guest. I'm going to turn it over to John and let him bring our guest in. Well, Joe, thank you so much. You know, I'm excited right now. I really am. Uh, one of the things that makes the Hagman Report unique, at least I think so, and and makes it fun to work here, too, is that we don't necessarily uh, run our guests through a criteria, per se. Yes, it helps if you've got a big digital footprint or a lot of followers on Twitter or you've written 25 books or whatever. That's all well and good. But every once in a while, you meet someone who's just got a testimony. They just have a story. And 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 it's particularly sweet when that someone happens to also be of great service to the show. And so our guest here in Hour 3, as we uh, wrap up our final hour here on Monday, October 23rd, is Michael Obezel. And he is a, a Hagman Report chat moderator and has been for some time. He does a great job. And he's going to tell us, uh, well, he's going to give us his testimony. But before I bring him on, um, I'm going to just give you folks an idea of his service to our country. And the reason I've chosen to do this is I've been blessed to know many Vietnam vets in my life, not the least of which my Uncle Silas, uh, who uh, was with the 7th Air Cav. He was a 60 mil uh, door gunner with the 7th Air Cav. In all the years I hung around Uncle Silas, I never heard him say a word about his service in Vietnam. Well, our guest, Michael Obezel, served with the uh, 282nd Black Cat uh, Helicopter Assault Squad. And I just want to read quickly, and I will move through this quickly because we want to get Michael on right away, uh, some stuff that I pulled on the uh, outfit that he served with. It says, Although the mission at times seemed routine, there were many occasions when the utmost of daring and courage was required. The officers and, and men of the 282nd Aviation Company responded to the challenge admirably, and as a result, 26 individual awards for valor were awarded during this period of combat operations, that period being 1966 to 1967, by the way. These awards included the Silver Star, Distinguished Flying Cross, Bronze Star, Medal with V Device, Air Medal with V Device, and the Vietnam Cross for Gallantry. I want to jump over here quickly to a history of the 282nd Assault Helicopter Company, this written and prepared by First Lieutenant Thomas Prince. And this covers uh, what would probably be Michael's second tour of duty, but we'll let him explain that to us. Three quick moments that our guest may have experienced, but this is the outfit that he was with. He put on the uniform. He went to a foreign land where it was hot and hard and, and scary. And this is the type of stuff they did. On March 22nd, on, uh, excuse me, on March 27th, while on a visual reconnaissance mission, a light fire team supporting Arvin, uh, that was the, that was the South Vietnamese, the, the army of the Republic of Vietnam, Arvin, units east of Way spotted a large enemy force in open. Using 2.75 inch rockets and machine guns, the ship killed 63 North Vietnamese soldiers. I'll give you one more. On 18 April, combined forces of Army, Navy, and Marine Corps, as well as Arvin units, took part in a combat assault west of Da Nang. 
the assault was led by the 282nd, our guest's outfit, uh, ships inserting more than 900 Arvin troopers. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have five pages of this stuff. So our guest uh, this uh, hour, Michael, is a, he won't say it himself, but he is a Vietnam uh, hero, at least he is to me. And Michael, I want to welcome you to the Hagman Report. And first of all, thank you so much, uh, sir, for your service in Vietnam. Welcome. Uh, Michael, we can see you, but we can't hear you. I don't know if uh, it's a microphone thing, but we can't hear you. We we see you good. Our tech, Eric, said he's going to work on it. And um, you can keep trying, and we'll let you know when we do hear you. Uh, but the picture looked good. Um, I know we did a, a, a pre-show connection test that worked fine, so I'm sure we will get this up and running. But, uh, you know, from what I know about Michael and his story, I have not heard his story from him, just a, a synopsis. And I imagine it's what, uh, you know, a lot of people who went through war go through a lot of what Michael did the interesting and and awesome part about Michael's story is that it not only led him to the Lord, uh, but he's now you know a, a living testimony, an example of how somebody can you know do all the right things and and you know suffer from you know PTSD or whatever it is, and then go to the lowest point and turn that around, uh, you know through the Lord, through finding the Lord, and that whole experience and come back out on the other side. Many people don't make it back to the other side, unfortunately, for whatever reason. And it is uh, always a blessing when we get to hear a story like this, an uplifting story in a world that is filled with just constant garbage that is thrown at us, whether it's from the news media or the TV or even our, you know, the local stories we read about in our papers. It's always usually negative constantly. But this is a, a, a story that has its ups and downs but has a happy ending, you know. And I, I want to hear from Michael. I think I hear some some audio. I don't know, Eric. That's you? <laughs> okay. You know, Joe, uh, I was just listening to your remarks. and Okay. <laughs> Thank Go you. ahead, John. Thank you, Eric. You know, I was just listening to your remarks, and I was thinking about how how few people really recover from some of the things that our guests went through without Jesus Christ. I mean, basically, oh, yeah. look, it, it breaks down to this. If you find yourself, uh, as our guest did, uh I don't want to steal his thunder, but he had some serious trouble for 11 or 12 years of his life, and it was a, it was of an addiction nature. Without Jesus Christ, man, it's not going to happen. Alcoholics Anonymous admits that their recidivism rate is like 87%. That means a hundred out of 100 people in a room, 87 are going back. And while we wait for Michael, okay. while we wait for Michael, you know, I didn't realize this, Joe, but, uh, but his outfit, the 282nd, the, they were called the Black Cat Squadron. Uh, they were actually part of the Tet Offensive. Uh, and on oh. July 25th of that year, of, of Tet, uh, supporting the 1st Arvin Division troops on an operation near Lam San, 241 north of Way, the Black Cats were to transport 560 troops into one landing zone. The lift was broken down into two elements of four ships each. After artillery prep from 1700 on July 24 to 1300 on July 25, that's a lot of artillery, um, the first ships of the second lift took 18 hits with no crew injuries and was flown back to the LZ, that's the landing zone, uh, where it was deemed unsafe to fly. The ships then lifted the remaining troops to alternate LZs 
and completed their mission, while five of the eight ships took 33 hits. Miraculously, no crew members were injured. After covering the combat assault, the gunships were diverted to support troops in the Hoi An area south of Da Nang. Enemy targets were engaged throughout the afternoon, and as night fell, the Firefly ship was called in to illuminate targets in the area. Four structures and 30 sampans were destroyed, and one 50 caliber machine gun was silenced, that being a 50 cal belonging to the enemy. So, so Joe, uh, our guest this hour, Michael, uh, he saw some action. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Let's see if we can uh, get the audio with the, with the video. Michael, are you there, buddy? No, we still have the video, but no audio. Um, you know, sometimes we have these uh, issues with Skype. Sometimes it's it's us. Sometimes it's uh, the guests. Sometimes it's the connection. We don't know, but we will get it figured out. And I guess what worst case scenario we can do it by landline, if if need be. Um, so I guess I, without I don't want to take too much time. We're already almost 15 minutes into the hour three. Maybe we should just get him set up on a landline. That way he can at least come on and tell his story without uh, too much more time, um, you know, going away. And we can, next time we have him on, figure out the, the Skype thing. So, Eric, if you could uh, figure that out with Todd, that would be great. And folks who've been listening to the Hagman Report for a long time know we've had our fair share of issues. <laughs> um, and it's been a combination of everything, our own equipment, uh, guest equipment, uh, just crazy Connection snafus where you know somebody's about to you know give some breaking news and then blank it goes silent. Hey, good army turn, phone lines go dead, and <laughs> you just never know. Um, that's one of the the things that is out of our control in many cases is sometimes with the uh, the camera, the audio, and guests. You just don't know. Uh, there's so much room for error, and Eric does a great job every single night of pretty much keeping those errors to a minimum, but some things are just out of your control, so you just can't yeah, help no problem. But, uh, you know, you go can with see the me flow okay, and try though, right? to get Ooh, things fixed. All right, we got a up. thumbs up. We got a thumbs up. Uh, Michael, are you with us, sir? I am with you. Here I am in the flesh. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Awesome. So we did. We got we got your audio on the phone, and we see your video through Skype. That's the way to do that, it, Michael. That's Thank perfect. You. Uh, again, uh, for those just joining us, our guest this hour, this third and final hour, on the Hagman Report here on Monday, October 23rd, is Vietnam combat veteran, minister of the Lord, and just a man who's been through an amazing life, Michael uh, Obezel. Uh, Michael, um, I don't know if you were able to hear the audio, but I went ahead and, just to take a little pressure off you, sir, I talked a little bit about the 282nd uh, Assault Helicopter Battalion and Company. I read a little bit of the company's history, right. talked a little bit about the Black Cats. Frankly, I took our listeners into the bush and into a little bit of firefight here and there because I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't sure how comfortable you'd be going into that. But I know that that your story is basically one of of going to war, coming home from war, then fighting a, a huge internal war, and then you ultimately found Christ. Michael, why don't you just go ahead and jump in, uh, and and we're going to give it completely to you. And uh, Joe and I are just going to sit back and, and, and enjoy the story of your life, sir. Well, thank you so much, John. And uh, I'd like to say hello to all my fellow chat members, all the moderators, and all the wonderful people who are now watching the Hagman and Hagman Report. It's rare that uh, we're given an opportunity in this day and age to view such a truthful, honest, and really downright showing as it's going on this very day all that's happening in the world. Thank you guys for doing that, all that work behind the scenes. Thank you so much. Um, 
John, thank you for writing such a wonderful thing about my past and whatnot. Basically, I'll try to summarize it up as much as I can uh, and as shortly as I can, or as in short manner as I can. I graduated from uh, high school in 1966, born and raised with a Catholic family. In uh, July of 1966, one month after I graduated, my dad passed away. I was going to go to college and whatnot, but uh, to tell you the truth, there was a lot of things going on, a lot of pressure with the house, within the house and that sort of thing, and I realized that I needed to grow up real quick. I needed to become a man and learn how to live in this world. I therefore volunteered to go to Vietnam. All my other brothers, there's three other brothers, I was one of four, and I was the youngest, uh, went into the service. I went into the... Um, Army and uh, went through basic and AIT in Fort Knox, Kentucky. And right after I uh, got out uh, of my advanced training in March of 67, they sent me uh, to Vietnam. And I arrived on Vietnam maybe a couple of uh, weeks after my 19th birthday. I traveled up the country and ended up in Da Nang with the 282nd Black Cat Assault Helicopter Company, and they were very happy to see me because they didn't have any clerk typists, which is what my MOS was, although in Vietnam, as you know, you have to have many different things that you have to do. I also did radio operations. I was inside of control uh, uh, operations control, basically, and it seemed for some strange reason the good Lord always wanted me in operations control, so there I was, you know. Long story short, we had about 12 UH-1D helicopters. We had about nine, what we call the alley cats. Those are UH-1B helicopters and each had rocket pods on the side and miniguns and a 40 mic mic in the front. As you know, we always supported different types of operations in I-Corps, because Da Nang is in the northern portion of uh, Vietnam. And because we had a helicopter and an aviation unit where we were at, and we shared a base with the Marine Corps called Marble Mountain Air Facility, and there were two mountains off to the left, and these mountains just jutted right up out of the land about two, 3,000 feet. And on the end of one of the mountains was the 105 recoilless rifle that they used to shoot towards what they call Elephant Valley to guide the long-range reconnaissance patrols to and from different areas. We would support not only special forces, but all kinds of other operations, not only in North ICOR, but we would also go into Laos, Cambodia, and in some, uh, some, every once in a while, maybe into the DMZ. Um, we got rocketed and mortared quite frequently. And what that means is they, you never know when you were going to get hit, you know, as far as that goes. Um, let me back up a second. When I went there, I had no idea I was going to stay as long as I did. The original tour was for 12 months. And right around nine months, I found out that if I extended my tour for six months, I could get a free leave anywhere in the world for 30 days. So I ended up coming home. Long story short, when I got back January of uh, 1968, January 30th exactly, is when the Tet Offensive happened. I'll never forget that night because I was in my bunk and uh, a rocket hit probably about eight feet from where I was at and it threw me about four foot in the air. 
And we ended up scrambling into our bunkers that night, and for the next 30 days, we spent our night in the bunkers. So, it, you know, I mean, war is war. You're not going to run or hide from it when you're in the middle of it. But I went there because I wanted to find out what it was really all about. I wanted to get the nitty-gritty of it and see it for myself because I just love history. And praise the Lord, he... And what it's like actually going to a different country, what the people think of you and what you're trying to do, the mood of the troops and everybody that's there and what's really going on. Regardless of what the folks back home thought, and I mean, you know, we can understand that some people were opposed to the war and some were for it. I wasn't there uh, because of them, per se. I was there because I love my country and I wanted to serve my country. And above all, I wanted to grow up and find out what this world was really all about. And the Lord showed me, believe me, uh, he showed me. When towards the end of my second tour there, I did a lot of reading. I tried to study up on the different religions because I also wanted to find out what the truth really was. Is there a religion, one religion is better than another? Is You know, what's the truth? What's the truth of anything? So I started a long, long search, and after I got out of the service and left Vietnam in May of 69, I came home, did a couple of different jobs and whatnot. And as time went on, uh, I ended up joining some bowling teams with my brother and some friends and whatever. And one thing led to another. And next time, next thing I know, I'm bowling four nights a week and I'm drinking all the time. That process went on from, you know, the time I was 21 to the time I was just about 32 to 33. My, Michael, if I can, yeah. I think this is a good opportunity to do this. Um, the Vietnam War was really a turning point in the uh, in the U.S. military uh, due to the number of soldiers who became dependent on substances, whether it was uh, opioids yes. or heroin yes. or, or alcohol. Um, you know, the, the U.S. government saw a trend here that was so disturbing, and I'm not sure what the statistics are. I don't have them in front of me, but I believe it was upwards of 60% of, you know, U.S. troops um, admitted to either becoming addicted or at least, you know, trying on a regular basis some of the the drugs, especially the, the heroin while over there, and it was a staggering number, and when we see the, the implications are still far-reaching today. Absolutely, John, and uh, thank you for bringing that up because basically the way I, I saw it as I was there, the first year or first nine months I was there, it was just mostly drinking a lot of uh, beer and that sort of thing, although they did have booze and uh, smoking marijuana and that sort of thing uh, because the grass over there was excellent, of an excellent quality. But I noticed that right after <laughs> that, a lot of people that came in from uh, California had some kind of a connection to heroin and opium and things of that nature. And the mood changed dramatically after that for the remainder of the war because more and more people came that were looking for the heroin and that sort of thing. And yes, it grew exponentially beyond anybody's reasoning. And I was there at the greatest part of the buildup when over 500,000 people were there, troops were there. And I'm not going to say half of them or whatever, but there was a great percentage of uh, troops that went to Vietnam that either got hooked on some kind of a drug, alcohol, 
or some kind of post-traumatic war syndrome or something else. Something changed in their lives and their mood and how they were living their life. And when they came back, I mean, you never knew what they were going to do or what was going to happen because they didn't know whether they were doing the right thing or not. They were just trying to do what their country said, and in some cases, because they were drafted, they had no choice. They had to go. Hey, uh, Michael, uh, Michael, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but but Andrew from chat is reminding you, no drug talk. You know the rules. <laughs> and I guess, and I guess we've, got, I guess we've got Joe Hagman to blame for that. But I, I want to slip a question in here on you, uh, Michael. Ahead, you and I, ahead. you and I had such a blessed uh, time of fellowship a couple weekends ago, uh, and I've thought about that conversation many times since. Uh, I asked you a question, and, and I hope I can get this right, or at least get it close. Um, and I've always been curious about this. So, so, so. Unlike myself, you've you've been in combat, okay? You've had you've had rockets flying in at you. You were in the Tet Offensive. Uh, you were, from what I've read here, it sounds like the two eighty second Black Cats were were not a, a crew to be messed with. And you got um, it. and sure. I've often been curious about how men in combat, because look, anyone who's ever worked around a bunch of men, you know, with gloves in your back pocket and work boots on and a pocket knife and all that, we know how we know how men act. It's a lot of F-bombs, and it's not very, let's just say it's not exactly the church foyer, and we'll leave it at that. Right. But, right. but, but you're also in a position where you could die any minute. Do you remember me asking you about that? I asked you how, how do men so close to combat, standing on the precipice of potential death, uh, balance their spiritual beliefs. There there had to be other Christians uh, serving in your unit. And, and I remember you telling me that, that, that some men prayed and some didn't. And I was just wondering if, well, I'll tell you what, why don't I shut up and you tell us in your own words? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I met some wonderful people in, in the NAM, believe it or not, uh, some very, very wonderful people. And we all were of the attitude that we would be willing to give our lives for our fellow soldier, our, fellow, our friend. And many people were very spiritual, and some were religious, for sure. And we always, before we did anything, got right with the Lord, whether it was at night on our knees or in the morning or whatever. But not everyone did it that way. Some people, believe it or not, were really gung-ho. They couldn't wait to, you know, get into the sting of battle and, you know, start pumping away with their rifles or weapons of any sort and whatever. And as far as the warrant officers that flew the helicopters, you know, they just loved doing what they did. You know, uh, they knew exactly how to fly, and they knew that they were taking their lives in their own hands every time they went up in a chopper, whether they were lifting or taking some special people to a certain post way out in the boonies or whatever the case might be. We all knew that at any moment it could be our last breath. And we were always attempting to try to be right with the Lord. But in the adrenaline, when the adrenaline gets going and the firing really starts and everything is hot and heavy, you don't really tend to think about all that that much, unless you get hit or something of that nature where you have time to contemplate what's going on. But we had to learn to turn our lives and will over to care of God as we each of us understood him and take it from there. He would guide us and protect us as his will unfolded in our lives or while we were there. In my case, because I went back and forth several times, I knew on one flight back, I was praying to the Lord and he told me, he said, you know, Michael, you got to come back. You got some things you have to do that I want you to do. 
And even though it would take me 12, 13 years to get to that point, I had no idea what the Lord was talking about, but I did find out later on. And I'll, I'll share that with you guys later on. Oh, Michael, I, I no just want to... Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. I just want to jump in. We, we're about halfway through the interview time already. So I want to make sure that we, we get to your, through your whole story because, you know, the end is the best part. But I wanted to ask you, uh, how soon or when did you realize you had PTSD? And what are some of the things that you noticed that changed around you that led you to this, uh, path of, of alcoholism? Well, it was just coming back to a world where your focus was on, you know, uh, enjoying yourself, living life, you know. And for me, it was bowling and being with my brother and my friends and stuff like that. And the next thing you know, in order for them to have a good time, they had to drink. They consumed alcohol, smoked drug, uh, marijuana, or did drugs or whatever. I was never a big drug user myself. I didn't like chemicals. And... um one thing went from bad to worse, and the next thing you know, I ended up with an alcoholic stream of being a bartender. And that just uh, started my slide into oblivion even faster. And I know a lot of people out there, because of family situations and whatever, uh, tend to go to drink and whatnot. But my family itself was, uh, all everybody in my family drank at one point or another. My dad died at an early age because he drank a lot. My oldest brother passed away, uh, so did my second older brother, but he was more into drugs and he was what you would call the flag sheep of the family. He never really got right. He was so deep into chemicals, it fried his brain. And you never knew when he was going to spout off or get angry or start tearing up the whole place wherever we lived. It was really a nightmare. And I know a lot of people out there have to go through the same thing with some people that drink alcohol. But what you're really battling there is not the person in a drinking. You're you're battling the disease itself. And it manifests itself in many different ways. And a lot of people don't know this, but there's five different types of alcoholism. It's just not somebody that's going to get drunk or you're drunk or out in skid row. That's only 5 or 10% of any alcoholic. The rest of them are closet alcoholics. Or they might not drink except maybe once a week. And But when they pick up that first drink, they're going to get drunk because they can't stop. One day, it was on St. Patrick's Day, I was looking in the mirror, and I said, Michael, I said, I realize I can't stop drinking. If I pick up that first one, i got to have another, and I'm not going to be able to put it down. So that St. Patrick's Day, what was yeah, that when you, was that was when you realized that you were, that you had a problem? When I, oh, well, I realized I had a problem before that because I was getting sick all the time. I had to quit work because it interfered with my drinking. I had to, uh, I was almost four and a half foot in the grave, to tell you the truth. That's how bad I really was. I couldn't walk straight. I didn't know what day of the week it was. I mean, I was really, really in bad, bad shape. In, in fact, I was in such bad state, uh, bad shape that uh, that one Wednesday, was a Wednesday, St. Patrick's Day. The next day I went to where we used to go out in the park and, and uh, drink a lot and whatever. And that's when I cried my eyes out and bawled and talked to the Lord as only a heart can talk to the Lord. And I don't mean your physical heart, I mean your spiritual heart. I told the Lord I had tried everything in my way and I failed. And I said, Lord, I'm ready to turn it all over to you. And I'm going to do it your way, Lord, not my way. 
as long as you would show me the uh, your will for me and show me the way, I would start. And if I had to learn to crawl first, I would do that. And that's exactly what I had to do. And what happened was my oldest brother, who was an alcoholic himself but had been sober for over a year, brought me some AA literature. So for the next 10 years, I uh, got into Alcoholics Anonymous. I took various courses to find out what alcoholism was really all about. And during this time, I was praying and, uh, you know, getting to know the Lord even better and better. As a matter of fact, when I turned my life a little over to his care that uh, one Tuesday of the following week, for the next, I would say, two and a half years, the Lord guided me. I got better, and everybody said, stay sober, don't pick up that drink, one day at a time. You can't take care of tomorrow, but you got this 24-hour period in your life to live. Do it the right way, and stay sober, let go, and let God, easy does it, and all those wonderful little cliches that get you through, as well as going to meetings, you know, at least in the beginning for me. I, when I stopped growing spiritually, uh, going to meetings, I just got deeper into scripture and started uh, studying even more about what the Lord had in store and what's going on. One of the great blessings the Lord gave me after I turned my will and my life over to his care was an insatiable curiosity to learn what his word was really all about. And I don't mean I just want, didn't want to read it or whatever. I wanted the truth. I wanted to get down to the nitty gritty. I studied almost everything you could possibly think of concerning scripture and what's in it and I'll tell you it opened my eyes and for two years I wore the biggest smile on my face because I knew the Lord had saved me and you know what that did to other people that made them mad they couldn't understand why I was so happy why I was smiling why I didn't care about what's going on in this world and yet Michael, I heard, I wanna, Michael I want to I'm sorry ahead. Michael I want to uh, just just for there I just I don't even know how I know this. I just know <laughs> there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people listening to you right now who have uh, the exact same problem, sir, that you had. And I know you've been sober for several decades now. And and that not only uh, I mean it's it's no secret. Uh, both both Joe and I have thirty six years. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Thirty six years. It's, it's it's no secret around here. Joe Joe and I have both had issues with uh, with addiction. We'll just leave it at that for now. Because this is really your time, Michael. But, um, you know, uh, you said that you sat in the park and you'd been drinking. It sounded like you were on a run. It sounded like you were on a bender. Um, do you have some advice? Do, do you have a message for the people that are out there right now listening to the Hagman Report that are halfway through a fifth of something, probably got tears coming out of their eyes? I most certainly do. And uh, I'm going to be, all, in all truth and honesty, uh, please listen to what I have to say, what the Lord has shown me to say. I used to hear so many times, God helps those that help themselves. And I think nothing is further from the truth. The Lord will help those who come to the end of themselves, realize the way they've been doing things is wrong. And then with all their heart and soul and might and every fiber of their being, seek his will and his way for them one day at a time, one step at a time, trusting in him and walking by faith, being led by the Holy Spirit. You do that, you'll never look back, and only do it one day at a time. 
Don't use any excuses. Oh, this, this person made me do this, or that person made me do that, or whatever. No, 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 no. It's all about you and your walk with the Lord. Get right with the Lord. Confess and repent of your sins, everything. Turn it all over to him. Pour out your heart to him. He will hear you. He will hear you, and he will guide you and lead you on the path of righteousness. For Amen. I tell you all that you listen to the Lord's uh, bar slope, Christian bar slope. You find it in 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just to hear us, forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if he delights in his word, and he put that in scripture, he means it. The Lord does not lie. Amen. Follow the Lord and do it the right way. Don't use any excuses. Don't go blaming people. Don't say, well, you know, I have to react this way because somebody made me do that. I'm mad, angry, or whatever. No, no, no. you got to get out of all of that. Do it one day at a time. Let the Lord guide you. Do it one step at a time. And I learned, stay away from what people and what places. And that also includes druggies. Wherever there might be drugs, don't go there. I didn't go to a bar to pray to the Lord, and I didn't go to church to drink. Not anymore <laughs> after that. I Very did it the well right said. way. Uh, I did Michael, it the right way. I let go and let God. Go ahead. I want to ask you this, um, because we know, you know, one of the hardest things to do is to get sober and to change the things that you just mentioned, you know, the people, the places, the things, the behaviors. But just as yeah. hard, just as equally hard, it is to stay sober. And, uh, just from, as we said, our own personal experience, you know, you have good days and you have bad days. Some days, you know, it doesn't even cross your mind. But in other days, you know, it seems like you're, you're constantly, uh, you know, fighting an uphill battle or, or, you know, going against the current on those days that are tough. Uh, what are some, of it, what are some of the things that you've done that have worked for you, uh, to keep on the straight and narrow? I want to tell you, John, that's extremely difficult because what I found about alcoholism from the moment you took that first drink until the time you actually stopped the same thing with drugs, you stopped maturing. In other words, you weren't growing anymore from a maturation perspective or how you relate and deal with other people. Most of the people that have drug or alcohol problems have something in their past that they don't want to look at, that they can't confront or they can't deal with or have not learned how to turn it over to the Lord. And I want to tell you, one time I kept on confessing one sin to the Lord all the time, and he said, Michael, he says, do you think that you're greater than I am? And I said, no, Lord, no way. And he said, well, if I can forgive you, how come you can't forgive yourself? And that's the hardest thing for anybody to learn how to do. Forgive yourself. Let go and let God follow his way. Do what's necessary. Get your nose and your eyes into scripture. Study it. And I don't mean just read it. Study it. Michael, There's I so want to jump in. in there. I'm sorry, sir. With all due respect, I just want to jump in there and I want to, I want to reiterate. I want to echo something that you just said. This is so important. This is so important. We know that, that Jesus Christ hung on the cross for all of us. Every single person watching the show, every single person listening, 
and every person on this planet and every person that ever was on the planet or ever will be. And we know that in his omnipotence and his omniscience and his omnipresence, that he knew our names. He knew your name. He knew my name. And that means that he knew our sins, correct? Amen. And so amen. I wanted to, 100%. amen. And I wanted to reiterate to, to all the listeners and viewers what you just said. If, if Jesus himself hung and had spikes driven through his hands and feet and his side pierced with a spear and he hung there and he died and he knew your name and my name and everybody else's name and our sins and he forgave us then what right have we? What right have we not to forgive ourselves? Amen? Amen. Amen. And that is really one of the hardest things in the world to do because sometimes people, I've heard it all the time, confess the same sins all the time and whatever, uh, and they don't listen to the Lord or they don't let the Lord deal with it and then move on in their lives and mature. And what does it mean to mature? To love God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. You don't go pointing the fingers at people. You don't go blaming somebody for something. You forgive them like the Lord did or whatever happens, you know, wipe your feet and walk away. I turn them back over to the Lord. When I don't when I'm done with someone or someone, you know, I had an argument or something with somebody, I'm not upset or mad. I just say, "Lord, you know, thank you for bringing that person in my life. It's time for me to move on." And, you know, I give them back to the Lord. That's his job. And, you know, he's going to have to deal with them. I can't I'm only a human being. But, John, I want there's one thing that you brought up that is very, very important, and I hear it all the time. In the past 36 years I've been preaching and talking about the Lord, my testimony, it has come up. What is fear of the Lord? Scripture tells us in fear of the Lord and whatever. The best way I can put it and what the Lord has shown me is unbelievably important. If the Lord loved us, so much because the word fear doesn't mean awe and reverence also besides fear of a punishment or a retribution but if the Lord can give his only begotten son Messiah Yeshua to die on that cross as you mentioned and turn his face away from his only begotten son that is how much he hates sin but on the same word we can look on the other side and see he loved us so much he gave his only begotten son that those that believeth on him though they be dead yet shall they live and whosoever believeth on him will never die amen amen Michael we got about 15 minutes left uh, in this interview I want to ask you this we still we've had um, since 9-11 you know we have the the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. You have soldiers all across the the world in different combat missions. We just saw um, just this last month the four soldiers killed in Niger, Africa, yeah. as they were ambushed by Al Qaeda. There are people yeah. who are dealing. I mean, we see the uh, PTSD phenomenon, or not phenomenon, the PTSD um, illness is continuing. To, it almost seems like it's getting worse and worse compared to how many. Uh, troops were involved in Vietnam. I don't know the the statistics or numbers, but it seems like it's it's continuing to increase uh, with you know a battlefield experience that we see coming from Iraq and, and Afghanistan. What advice would you give to soldiers who might even be uh, at the beginning of of dealing with this? You know, d- battling it silently, trying to let their families and and friends not catch on to the fact that they're struggling. 
uh, and might be, you know, headed down that dark road of, of substance abuse to try to cope, what would your advice be to those people who um, aren't sure what's going on, the, the troops who came back who aren't sure what's going on with themselves yet? John, that's a very good question. As a matter of fact, it's excellent because it brought back a couple of memories. I know one thing, you know, men are men, and uh, you're in a battle and you're in a war and that sort of thing, regardless of where you're at. And there's always going to be people native to that country that want something that you have, you know, and it's usually your money or whatever, and they're willing to do anything to get it. Don't do it. I can tell you hundreds of people that I knew of that uh, went to what we used to call the cabbage patch, and they ended up going to Japan and having to go through special treatments and ended up with diseases that uh, could never be cured. The same thing holds true for all the countries where we're, we have soldiers at now. Get your get right with the Lord, first of all. Let him lead you and guide you and get into the good book. Talk to the Lord. He wants to listen. He's ready to hear you. You don't have to go through any special or elaborate type of prayer ritual or whatever the case might be. The Lord wants to walk next to you. He wants to guide you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for each and every one of us. Each one of us has a special gift for the glory of the living God. We just have to find out what it is. And that's our real goal in life, to know, love, honor, and serve the Lord in this world based on the gifts that he's got us so that we can earn maybe one of five types of crowns for all eternity. When you compare the short sojourn or this journey on this earth that we each have, Usually maybe 50, 60, 70 years, and no more than 80 for most the most people. That's a short period of time when you consider all of eternity. Or you even look back 5,000 years, or whatever the case might be. No. Get right with the Lord. Do it His way, according to His will. Say your prayers, get on your knees, and uh, confess your sins, and ask the Lord to guide you. And He will. He will guide each and every one of you to saving life. You got to get out of this world because all we see is anger, hatred, jealousy, and what I used to call the I want factor. I want this because you got it. I want that because they got it. I want this country because I want to be a dictator. I want that country because I want all the money. What if I had all the gold and whatnot, you know, that would that buy me a place in eternity with the Lord? No way. Absolutely not. It's your heart, your spiritual heart. And that's the way you got to do it. You got to get out of your five senses, your own human heart, which is corrupted. That's of the seed of Adam. Adam has sinned, and because Adam sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. What Scripture actually tells us to do is put on your new heart, a spiritual heart, devoted to the Lord. Love God with all your heart and soul and your neighbor as yourself. Then the Lord will guide you, and he'll teach you what to say. And you'll do the right thing always. I always, when I when I run across a problem like that, I stop and think for a second. What would Yeshua do? What would the Lord say at this particular time? And if I have a problem with somebody, I'm not going to stay there and argue and fight with them or, you know, get upset or that sort of thing. I'm not going to get uh, that way over somebody else's stupidity. I don't want to. I don't want to get upset over that. Rather, I'm just going to say, well, you know, you're right, I'm wrong. God bless you, we'll see you later. And turn them back over to the Lord and move on. I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I don't want to. Not anymore. 
Michael, let me ask you a question. I just want to be with the Lord. Go ahead. Well, amen. Uh, I, I want to ask you a question that, that you just sort of touched on. Um, and I'm curious, and frankly, I really don't, I don't really even know what I'm talking about right now, and that's why I'm asking you. Uh, we know, yeah, <laughs> we know, by the way, I can't even, I can't, I can't even look at chat anymore at this point because there is such a high level of emotion in chat that I can't keep it together and broadcast at the same time. But, um, you touched on forgiveness, and I don't purport to understand anything about post-combat, uh, PTSD, okay? I know a lot about drinking in excess, but I don't know anything about some of the things you've been through. But I do know, I love the things in the Bible that are black and white and without debate. And Scripture, it says in two of the Gospels, I believe, that you must forgive. Jesus, Jesus is talking. He, he essentially says, you must forgive so that I may forgive you to the Father. I'm wondering, Michael, was some of what compelled you to drink, to seek solace in a bottle, uh, were, were you having forgiveness problems? And if so... Can you comment at all on 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 how on? I'm sorry. Let me let me get, gather my thoughts. Do you have any tools you can drop in in our listeners' toolboxes tonight? So how for how they can better forgive those who've hurt them? Because a lot of times I drank, it was because I was deeply hurting inside, and I just didn't want to feel the way I felt. So an easy way to escape was just to get to the bottle fast. And and some of that was due to. Well, it was due to a lot of things, but sometimes it was lack of forgiveness. A lot of times it was lack of being able to forgive myself. But, man, it sounds like you've done a lot of living, um, and I really appreciate your testimony tonight. Would you like to take a couple minutes and talk about forgiveness and how, how important it is? Yeah, I will, John. Thank you so much. Um, most people are born into this world. They have no control over their parents are, where they're born at, what their parents are doing, and that sort of thing. Uh, whether they're drinking or using drugs or maybe they're spiritual or Christian or, you know, uh, some other type of wonderful, uh, spirituality or religion, if you will. But everybody is different. You come into this world and you're scared. You're afraid. You wanna, you know, you know, you gotta, you know, live and sooner or later you're gonna die. You know, so what are you gonna do with your time on this earth? And I, the Lord showed me in the very beginning. You know, after I went through all of these things and I was born again when I was 33 years old and the Lord showed me the true path to salvation. He said, Michael, you have to learn how to forgive. And if you can forgive yourself of all the wrong you did, even as I have forgiven you and repented, uh, then you can do it for others. And scripture also tells you, you know, you go somebody knock on somebody's door. Uh, they want to hear your message or they want to treat you as a brethren. That's fine, you know, testify. If not, wipe your feet and walk away. And I'll tell you, John, because I love the Lord and I walk everywhere I go and I try to treat other people as I would like to be treated, I've got people opening the doors for me, doing this and doing and smiling and whatever, people I never met before. I'm not doing that on my own. I know it's the Lord. And the Lord, I'm walking with the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord. And with that, you can learn how to forgive. I never, ever, as long as I live, want to go and face the Lord when it's my time. And the Lord says to me, Michael, I forgave you of this, and I forgave you of that, and I forgave you of all these other things. But you couldn't forgive your friend. You couldn't forget this guy for doing this to you. You couldn't forget your parents for doing that to you. You couldn't forgive your brother or your sister for doing this and that. Why should I forgive you anymore? 
I said, no, I don't want to go that route ever, ever. So I learned how to forgive, and that's the best way I can describe it to you guys. Picture yourself facing the Lord when he's going to tell you, you can't forgive somebody, then I'm not going to forgive you. Yeah. Don't let that happen. Very true, and I believe it's in Matthew when they asked Jesus, you know, how many times should you forgive uh, somebody, and he said, so I think that's where he says, you know, uh, you know, seven or seven times. Se-. He he goes on to make the case that you know you should forgive people uh, much much seven more than 70. they even ask. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, and and that we, I mean, imagine that on on Judgment Day, and you know, the Lord asking, you know, did you forgive, uh, like I like I asked you to, and having some you know something in your heart that you did not let go and you did not forgive. And this is one of the things that is one of the toughest things as a Christian to deal with is the love your enemies part. Um, and I think, and I wonder, and we don't have time to get into this discussion right now, but you know, you have your your natural enemies, and you have your spiritual enemies, the demonic side. And I don't yeah. believe Jesus, right. you know, is telling you to to forgive the demonic side and love the demonic side. But at the same time, not. No the way. humans, no way. right, the humans yes. that we encounter. And the different ways that uh, humans will let you down or backstab you or even attack you, we are to, as Christians, have the love of the Lord inside of us, and that love should be enough and sufficient to provide the ability to forgive. And if it's not there, then we need to do some spiritual work ourselves in our faith walk because we are given that power through the Lord's love and grace. And But even for me, it's one of the hardest if not the hardest things to have to do as a Christian, I still struggle with it, and and there's still people I have uh, I have problems with, and it's uh, something that I, I'm glad that you brought up tonight and we talked about because uh, I hope everybody takes a look at it and examines what what's going on in their life that maybe they need to to take another look at. If you earnestly seek the Lord and you want to change your life and you want to find out who He is in your life and the gift that He's given you, so that you can give glory, honor, and praise unto Him and not be afraid of anything anymore and look forward to an eternity spending with the Lord because He will be our God and we will be His people, all joining hands, loving, honoring, and serving the living God. And I want to tell you, it's coming soon. Don't hesitate. Don't give it another day. Don't let a day go without finding the Lord in your life. He is looking for you. He's reaching out for you right now, for everybody. Within the air can hear the sound of my voice. The Lord wants you. That's why I'm on. That's why I'm talking about this. The Lord wants you to turn your life and your will over to his care. And step by step, follow his will for you. He will tell you what to do. He will show you what to do. But you don't need much showing or much telling because you know what's right and what's wrong. The Holy Spirit, even though it might be just the small slivers within you, in all of God's creation, because remember, only man was made in the Lord's image and likeness. And then he did one more thing. He breathed into man the breath of life. And man became a living soul. That is one like the Lord. And we saw how great the Lord loves us because Messiah Yeshua, who is the second person of the Trinity, the creator and giver of all things, look just like us 
And yet on the cross, when people were killing him and did all those things to him and whatever, he said, Father, forgive They don't know what they do because they didn't understand what it was all about. It's about eternity. Spending your entire life on this earth is not going to lead anywhere. Loving the Lord and serving him is going to reap for you treasures in heaven beyond belief for all eternity. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Always. And I want to tell you, I don't think I'm going to see a crying eye in heaven at all. That's all long gone. And the Lord says in Revelation, I will wipe away every tear. Mm-hmm. And amen for if that. If you want that, if you want that, and you're willing to go to any length to get it, find the Lord in your life. Find what he wants you to do. Get right and get with the Lord. Forgive your fellow and all those who have harmed you and done wrong. And that's one of the keys of uh, AA and to get sober is to make amends to all those who have harmed whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or yourself. So you can't mm-hmm. make amends with everybody. But you forgive them with the Lord. You say a prayer for them and say, Lord, you know, I had this run-in with this particular person. Things didn't turn out so well and whatever. Or that person really hurt me bad. You know, and I feel like this for weeks, and that has happened to me. I say, you know what, Lord, I forgive him. I'm going to turn him back over to you. I met him in my life, and I'm moving on now, so you deal with him, and, because that's your job. My job is to walk your way. And I'm going to stop trying to control that other person, but I'm going to make sure that I'm aware of everything that you're showing me and try to be kind and loving to my fellow man and do things your way for them and what you've shown me. Because such are the kingdom of heaven. When we get up there, we're not going to be arguing or complaining with one another. We're going to be (laughs) loving one another. And amen to that. Michael O'Bezel is our guest. Michael, we have run out of time, but I want to thank you so much for, one, for being a moderator in our chat, and two, for coming coming on to the show to share your uh just heartfelt story and uh it's just amazing to where where you were what you went through and coming out on the other side uh as a soldier for the lord and not only that but sharing your testimony as a as an encouragement for each and everybody out there and being a champion for jesus and for his word in the bible we want to thank you so much michael it's been a pleasure having you on and we look to talk look forward to talking with you in the future God bless you, John, and thank you for having me. And as you folks know, I'm not no pro at at this or whatever. I'm very rarely on this. I'm speaking from the heart, from my spiritual heart, to each and every one of you. May the Lord bless each and every one of you. Richie is my prayer. Amen. Amen. You know, Michael, you know, sir, what all those ones in the chat mean, and the ones are rolling one after another, after another, after another. Our guest this third hour on Monday, October 23rd, Michael Obezel, thank you so much for your service as a Hagman chat moderator. And uh, we will bring you back, sir. Absolutely. Speaking of speaking from the heart, thank you so much. You're welcome, John. Good night, Joe. Bye-bye. God Good bless. night. That will do it for us tonight, folks. want to thank each and every one of you for joining us. Don't forget to listen to the Doug Hagman Show, 9 to 10 a.m. on Global Star Channel 3, as well as Blog Talk Radio, and the Hagman Daily Show, show 2 to 3 p.m., the same stations, Global Star 3, Blog Talk Radio Live, and Archive, and you can get both shows on podcast 
wherever your podcast apps are on your phone, computer. They're all there. Also on HagmanReport.com. want to thank all of our guests tonight, Peter Chauka, Augusto Perez, and Michael Obezel, and we will be back here tomorrow. Have a great night. Thank you.